Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am your host, Jim Laskowski, and joining me today is one of my favorite returning guests and film critics. We go all the way back to the year 2000 when we both gave our top 10 favorite movies of the year on WGN Radio. He is the host of Movie Madness and does so much for the Chicago film critic community. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Mr. Eric Childress. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, <laughs> it's an adventure. <laughs> listening to this, whatever day you might be listening to this one day and you're having a great day and then you put it on hold and you come back the next day and you're feeling like crap. So let's try to liven <laughs> people up with uh, a, a little joy today. Yes, because that's that's why I love podcasts. You know, they, they the joy. They do bring me joy. OK, you know, and actually having conversations about things that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it automatically creates some positive energy into the world. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy being on other people's podcast. I, I will say that um, because I know I'm taping it, then that's I'm done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't have to even go back and listen to it if you don't want to. You know, I, 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 I right. Uh, but you know, having you know, d- doing the the movie madness podcast, I know I'm like, oh great, we're taping. Now I have to go and edit it and put it all together. So yeah. <laughs> See, that, that is the sigh of someone who knows they have to edit the podcast at the end of this. For sure. Yes. But I'm I'm grateful, as you know, for uh, for all that you do, and certainly the Chicago Film Critics Association in general. Uh, it, for me, it is difficult to keep up with new releases sometimes, uh, uh-huh. but I, I try to at least catch two titles a week. And see, you know, even because nowadays everything is premiering yeah. uh, you know, on some streaming network, so it makes it a little easier. That's respectable. I, I, I try to set at least five to seven because I'm insane. Ah. Uh, and, and you know, do a weekly review thing on the podcast. So I kind of have to, you know, do five to seven movies a week. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're we're not well people. people. <laughs> I know what part of me is like. When I watch, especially when I watch sports movies or something, I'm kind of like, I really should invest into something physical and like yeah, become I, really good at that as opposed to just, okay, I'm going to binge on TV and movies all day. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch TV on, say, a treadmill. I'm just saying. That's you know, what I'm starting I, to do. I, yes. Slowly but surely, I'm mm-hmm. finally a- adopting that practice. Even though when you get home from work, you don't always have all the energy in the world to do that. I'm right. I'm at least setting some uh, aside some time on a daily basis now. Well, if you do have the treadmill, you can also put it in the walk mode too and True. watch the show at night, and that you at least at least get, gets the heart pumping, so to speak. Yeah, you know. And you know who also gets the heart pumping? The director of this episode, Mr. Richard Donner. Yeah, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. You know, digging back into his, you know, his resume and everything. This is this. There's a lot of things we can talk about here. I know, and as you know, I'm doing something very special this time around, and I'll briefly elaborate to the audience. Uh, basically, I plan to. Uh, there, there was this biography. I think I think I don't know if it was an autobiography or not, but. Um, it wasn't easy to track down and it was like 30 bucks. And I figured, well, I'll do the interlibrary loan procedure through the library, but even they had a hard time tracking it down for some reason. I guess it's only like six libraries in the country. 
it's very strange. Uh, I wanted to do far more research on Donner in, in terms of like, how did he get his start and uh, how did he evolve and what does he like to work with? Because mostly I've just watched, you know, YouTube behind the scenes type things and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I decided to borrow or, <clears throat> yeah, I guess, quote unquote, borrow a format from one of my new favorite podcasts out there called Screen Drafts to make things a little interesting this time around. Uh, instead of the usual, well, let's talk about a few specific titles, I've asked my guest today to join me on an adventure to draft a collaborative top 10 list of the works of Richard Donner. Uh, the only other time I've done something kind of similar is when uh, Patrick came on for our anniversary special early this year, and we drafted our favorite films from the Obama era. <laughs> oh, interesting. It was, it was. So just those eight years, just those eight years? Yeah. I, okay. I can't even specifically tell you what was on what was on the list. Um, so, so, so basically 2009 to 2016, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and we, we had to come to some agreement and our tastes don't always align. So there were a couple of compromises here and there. Uh, but I, I don't know if that will, I don't know if there will be a lot of arguing per se, uh, maybe in terms of placement that could happen, which, you know, I'll briefly just mention here how the draft is going to work. Um, I'm going to be drafting numbers 10, eight, six, four, and two. My guest will draft numbers nine, seven, five, three, and one. We each have two vetoes, which means if I choose something that Eric disagrees with, he can lay down a veto and say, hey, choose something else. Uh, the tricky thing is, though, that title can move up higher on the list, or maybe it'll just stay off the list completely based on personal choice. Uh, so, and obviously... You know, we, we, we both have the power to make the list what we want it to be, but we should basically try our best to come to an agreement. Uh, and we don't necessarily have to use the vetoes, but we should save them for picks that we feel strongly about, I guess. Um, you know, and so like, say, yeah. like, I mean, if like, I mean, just for an example, let's say that, you know, you, you chose the toy, for example, to be on your <laughs> top 10 list. Okay. <laughs> And I decided that no, that ten is too low. The toy should be number one. Then I would veto you, and you know, and then later on introduce the toy as my number one Richard Donner movie. Correct. Okay. Just just to just to be clear. So like like if, like if it's if it's close to say like if the toy was your number ten and let's say my number nine, then maybe I wouldn't veto it because it's pretty close. Right. To what I would do. Right. Okay. But this I have, I have, a, I have a general, I, I have a general idea of what the top three could be in my mind. What's it, you, you said? You said you you did this format with the Obama era thing. It it was it wasn't so because we didn't do placement. We didn't actually do okay the numbers approach. Okay, it was more of just like let's agree on ten titles and we went down a long list. See that's a, see that's a lot harder to do. Obviously, you because you're, you're doing eight full years. You know, we're essentially doing you know roughly you know eighteen to twenty movies, depending on what we have on on this list. Uh, I, I I mean seriously, I would be very surprised if our 
the, the top ten list that we each have currently come up with, uh, uh, that we do not match at least seven in within the top ten. Maybe not the right same numbers, but if we have less than seven movies on uh, that are similar, I'll be very shocked. I would even say maybe even eight. I think what's most interesting to me is I don't know specifically how you feel about each title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a general idea. I certainly listened to the uh, Christmas Movies Actually podcast that you did with uh, Colin and Carrie and Sergio on, mm-hmm. lethal, on lethal Weapon. So I have right. an idea of how you feel about Donner and how you know how you feel about that franchise. So you know, I do. I feel as strongly about it. We'll see. That's kind mm-hmm. of. There's going to be some discovery throughout, and maybe maybe even a little controversy. I don't know. You Could know. happen. Yeah. However, I thought we should briefly go over a couple of new releases that we've seen recently. First, since that's still part of the show proper, let's go ahead and launch right into the what we watched recently segment. Eric, I'm going to let you go first. I will throw one out at you that would be very uh, surprising. Uh, at my with the Toronto Film Festival that just uh, concluded this past week, uh, I saw a whole bunch of movies, and we're going to have a whole episode of it dedicated on the Movie Madness podcast. And one of the films that I think I'm going to bring up because it's going to tie into another film that I saw there. Uh, just I, I want to throw this one out to, to you, Jim, because you're a music guy. Mm-hmm. As, movie guy and uh i i saw a few music docs at uh, the festival but the one that really surprised me the one that I, and it shouldn't have given the director of it uh but the one that i really really had a good time with is a documentary called listening to kenny g wow yeah right right okay <laughs> that is a surprise yeah and, and let me say it, it's the director of the documentary is penny lane who, i know that name she did Hail Satan. Ah. She did um, R. Nixon. She did uh, a, a really funny movie called Nuts uh, that uh, we played at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. She, she's very, very cool. Uh, you know, quirky but not overtly quirky uh, documentarian. Takes very interesting subject matters and really kind of gets to, to the root cause of it. And you know, part of listening to Kenny G, maybe not as much as I was expecting, but you know, part of it is the kind of the idea of why do we hate Kenny G? <laughs> you know, I mean that 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 name instantly brings it. You know, it becomes a punchline for many things. And as the movie does show you, <laughs> all the a lot of jokes that have been made. Uh, over the years, uh, including one, uh, I think I just watched the documentary like a day or two before Norm Macdonald. Ah, uh, yes. Away. So there's a there's a, a joke in the in the movie of Norm Macdonald uh, that Kenny G Kenny G has a new Christmas album. Happy birthday, Jesus! Hope you like crap. <laughs> uh, so, oh, so God bless so, Norm. Yeah. So part of the documentary is that, but it also is kind of a straightforward documentary about the you know where the Kenny G you know, phenomenon, if that's even the word to use, began. It's really, you know, it is a tracing of his career, and it does get into how, like, certain jazz staples and whatnot were not crazy about some of the things that he started to do after he gained fame and 
uh, such as uh, putting his own track under Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World drew a huge kind of controversy within the, within the music world, uh, thanks to Pat Metheny. Uh, but the, <laughs> but, you know, the, but the thing that I discovered, you know, I mean, I mean, everyone knows Kenny G's songbird. You have heard Kenny G's songbird at some point in your life. You know what it is, even if it's like waiting for to get your hair done or something <laughs> like that. You, you've heard it. You know it. And you know, what, what I discovered listening to this stuff and having listened to a lot of jazz over the years, I, I, I like him. You know, <laughs> I, I, I just I like him. I, I like I, it just it's 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 easy listening for certain. Uh, I mean, he does things with his, his instrument that I certainly can't do. It's so there's there's a Ooh, we might want to take that one out of context. So. Hey, now, <laughs> um, but it's it's in it's well, they do actually go into the discussion about, you know, oh, God, there's a there's a really great line in the movie. Oh, I forget. I don't remember if it was a joke or if someone just came up with it. But I think it was Kenny G himself actually comes up with something like the idea that it's the. I don't. I don't even want to blow. I don't even want to spoil the joke. Spoil the joke, but, uh, but it does get into the idea that like you know this might be music that you listen to while you have sex. Mm. So, you know, it's it, so it, it covers a lot of ground, and it, it's 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 just it's just very entertaining. You know, you don't have to like or dislike Kenny G, uh, but it really is. It, it's just it was it, it, it was the one documentary that I saw that really kind of surprised me. I was just like, I'm not going to watch this. Why would I? Why would I want? Why do I need to watch this? And then I'm like, Penny Lane directed it. I'm like, oh, okay, I will watch this. And I did, and I had a really good time with it. And that's I think it's part of it's going to be part of a a series on HBO. Oh. Uh, that uh, I think it's a documentary series, music series called um, uh, like mu- the Music Box series. No connection to Music Box Theater here in Chicago, as far as I know. Oh, the first one they did was the Woodstock. The 99. Woodstock one, yeah. correct, right? Which was terrific. Uh, and this this one's really good too. And there's another one in the, in the group that I'm not as crazy about, but I'll I'll leave that one for another time. But listening to Kenny G is going to be it might be in October sometime. I'll have to, you have to look that up, but uh, it, it's coming soon, and it, it's worth it's worth checking out. Well, maybe they should do more of these. Listening to Yanni, listening to Enya. You know. Well, you know that's the, I would watch all of those, my friend, because they're that period. It's funny that I, that period when they were all sort of intermingling and they were sort of out there in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. That was a period where I was listening to a lot of Enya and a lot of Yanni. I call it the, the post LA story portion of my uh my my existence so i was listening to a lot of enya and i was listening to a a lot of yanni at the time along with music with words as well but (laughs) uh not that enya doesn't have words uh you just can't always understand them but that's okay Uh, but but like i had no problem you know i would have no problem standing up going like yeah i like him what's your problem but you know kenny g it was not something i would just go like yeah i like kenny g i just but I can say it now. I just love the fact that Penny Lane's last movie was about Satanists, and now mm-hmm. Kenny G. Yes. Wow. She covers, she covers a spectrum. <laughs> oh, hello. This is Jim. I'm cutting in into my own podcast because I foolishly forgot to mention my favorite film of the year is Anne at 13,000 Feet. Uh... I do review a couple of titles coming up, as you're about to hear. 
uh, with Eric, but this one in particular really struck a chord with me, um, and I want you to be aware of it. I'm hoping it comes uh, to a theater near you or is available on demand via streaming in the near future. I imagine it will be by the end of the year. Uh, the lead performance from uh, Dara Campbell is possibly my favorite so far. Still so much to see, obviously, uh, as the fall un uh, unravels <laughs> with several titles, including many that played the Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, yeah, award season is around the corner, but for me right now, and at 13,000 feet, directed by Kazakh Radwanski is uh, about a preschool teacher who is moving into a new apartment and has a history that we don't know about, may have had some uh, particular trauma that was uh, very devastating, but again, a lot of that is left kind of vague, but in a very appealing way, because we're sort of thrown into the moment. It's a character study of a young woman's lack of preparation for the anxiety of adulthood and how she, you know, has trouble connecting with other people, particularly adults. She does her best with, uh, with, uh, the younger demographic, but, um, you know, this, this sort of, uh, pushes against the idea of a manic pixie girl in a way and sort of shows you, the darker side of what it's like to possibly be in some sort of manic state. I feel like her tendency to uh, embark on these skydiving adventures could indicate that, you know, her, her dopamine receptors have been rewired in some capacity. So the only sort of joy or sense of control she might have is being in the air uh, and free falling. So there's been some some comparisons to John Cassavetes. Obviously, there's the intimate camera work. Uh, often it's a little shaky, a little uh, chaotic. But I think the reason for that approach is warranted, given the sort of um, vulnerability and increased emotional heightedness, height if that's a word. Uh, that we're thrown into and it can feel a little suffocating and strange to experience but I think uh, the, the, the rather short running time it's very condensed I think allows for something a little more kinetic even if in the end it is essentially about a breakdown I wrote a review for this over on voicesvisions.net if you want to check it out I'll link to it in the show notes sort of details um, a little bit more and I really hope that you can uh, find this. It's called And at 13,000 Feet and now let's get back to the podcast proper. Thank you for the brief indulgence here. I guess I'll just transition over into a kind of a music documentary. I don't know if you caught up with this uh if it's played at the f at a festival at some point maybe played sundance but it's called the nowhere in i have yes in fact that's uh i'm gonna be in the latest movie madness podcast we talk about that movie okay um it's a weird kind of mockumentary 
and I knew I wanted to see it because I'm a fan of St. Vincent and Carrie Brownstein. Uh, so the idea of them collaborating on this like concert tour music documentary got me pretty stoked, even if a lot of the reviews were mixed. And I unfortunately am kind of in with the general consensus on this as it being okay. And I wish it was a lot stronger. Like it, to me, it's, it's kind of like strung along like a series of sketches, which makes sense. Cause I think the director mainly comes from the world of directing Portlandia. Um, so it's episodic in the way that like we're following St. Vincent on this tour, but we're going on all these different detours at the same time to try and get to know about her life and what she's like behind the scenes and that kind of thing. Uh, we're introduced to her and she is best friends with Carrie Brownstein, who ultimately wants to direct this film in this sort of meta Charlie Kaufman kind of manner. And they want to document her latest tour. And it's clear early on, this is going to be some sort of, yeah, meta experience on kind of like how, how, how rock stars don't always lead the most interesting lives. Uh, and at the same time, it's interspersed with live performances that I really enjoy seeing. So there's this like push and pull because I, I, I think Carrie is trying to make uh, Annie seem like this really engaging presence, and they're kind of doing they're doing it right in front of us uh, on camera. So they're offering like these really comical encounters with uh, with fans or each other. And they're clearly staged. Uh, and, you know, they're commenting throughout in, in a way that I wish made for a more compelling overall story. And in times, it, I, it feels like it wants to be their take on David Burns' true stories. But it's kind of hit and miss in terms of being funny and interesting. Uh, I, I was hoping for a little bit more with the little Dakota Johnson uh, surprise mm -hmm. that really doesn't kind of go anywhere interesting and they decide to get a bit Lynchian and surreal and it just felt like this weird mishmash of tone that I don't think entirely works but I do find St. Vincent compelling and a great songwriter her trying to compose a new song is it's, it's kind of here and there that's kind of interesting I just, I don't know. I just felt like the, the Portlandia-like approach to, tr you know, like infused in this concert movie almost works against it at times. Uh, but I wasn't bored at the same time. I was just really interested, like, well, how is this going to play out ultimately? I, but I, I in the end, I kind of just went, all right, I, I guess it was fine. And I wish it was better given the talented you know, people behind this thing, but it's worth a look if you're a fan of Carrie Brownstein or St. Vincent, for sure. I just don't think it's going to turn into like a cult classic or anything. I, I was ultimately disappointed, but again, I, I still found things about it to be interesting at times, but again, like I wish it had been something more like true stories or even uh, f as funny as something like this is spinal tap, but clearly not on that level at all. Sadly. Yeah, I don't remember which film festival I actually saw this at. I just remember it was, like, over a year ago. 
Mm-hmm. So, so my, my, but my memory of it, I don't remember all the specific bits about it, but what, what I remember about is my overall opinion of it, which is very much in line with what you said. I, I actually liked, uh, I, I liked the journey of the first, say, like, hour of the movie yeah. where they're trying to reinvent, reinvent her personality in front of the camera, and that the scene with Dakota Johnson is very funny. Uh, but once it does sort of take that sort of surreal what is reality, what is fiction, who is Andy Clark, who is St. Vincent kind of thing at the end. It really just, just comes off as kind of forced, uh, and it, it doesn't really add any insight into the personality or the rock star or the music or anything like that. Uh, and having seen a whole bunch of uh, documentaries just just this year, music documentaries about artists uh, or you know, or even actresses and things like that that have opened up a lot more, up you know, in, in front of the camera. Uh, this this one really the, the feels even pales in comparison, uh, even more so now than to those. Yeah, and it's trying to be a commentary on just identity and certainly right. what, what she struggles with and everything. And ultimately, it feels half baked and not fully realized. Even though I kind of understand what she's going for, I just wish the execution of it had been a lot more interesting. And like you mentioned, that when it gets very surreal, it's I don't know if it's meant to be funny or not, because it it doesn't play off as comedic. It, again, it gets like Lynchian to the point of like, you know, Carrie Brownstein turning into St. Vincent in a, almost like a Mulholland Drive kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Eh. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame because I again I think I, they're both extremely talented women that do very interesting things with their art. So I think again maybe high expectations uh, affected yeah. my overall viewing experience. Uh, and then very quickly, and there's a reason why this one can kind of be dismissed very quickly, and it's it's a little sad. Like the the last episode I did with Sergio, I actually really liked the two movies. I brought up with um, Emma and Val, but uh, I was not happy with Clint Eastwood's latest. No. Uh, And you want to talk about a director that's very hit and miss, but he's made some films I have absolutely loved, like Unforgiven or Perfect World. And I even even really enjoyed uh, Sully, you know, fairly recently. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, So every now and then I'm still rooting for the guy. I mean, dude, he's 91. (laughs) so i was trying i mean i was watching this with an open mind and kind of going all right let's let's see if clint eastwood will knock out of the park again in some capacity but really this is kind of a middling you know uh western rescue kind of a drama that just really flounders he plays this one-time rodeo star and a washed up horse breeder who takes this job from an ex-boss played by uh, dwight yoakam and he wants him to bring his young son home and away from his alcoholic mother, who also might be abusing him. And so I'm like, all right, I, I get this premise. I get the setup. When it was starting out, I'm like, oh, OK, maybe this will turn into like an old fashioned Savannah Smiles scenario. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's that's a movie that I liked a lot as a kid. Yeah. OK. You know. Uh, okay. r- really sad though about the lead star um, yes. but so you know the, the little the charming idea of like okay 
you know, this younger teen is going to befriend this cynical old man and they're going to form a bond. I know where this is going. <laughs> and I, I, I'd hoped it'd be interesting, but surprisingly, I was kind of just shrugging it off as it went along. It's very reserved and predictable. And I, I guess I just wish I'd gotten more emotionally involved with the central relationship. And I don't know. I, I, I didn't catch up with... Uh, news of the world from last year yet i kind of i don't know why i kept putting that one off but you should i should okay obs all right because i mean again it's, they, they seem like very similar stories yeah, where except one, except one is quite good yeah yeah I, I just didn't get a sense of danger or conflict in in cry macho i mean okay the the the, the rooster is kind of cool Rooster gives a good performance. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Rooster's yeah. very charming. And apparently grizzled old Clint is still lusted after women like he was in the mule. Um, hey, that's, I, the, that's the director taking care of the actor, my friend. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, you know, I found the performances to be pretty mad and, and didn't think his heart was in this story. And I don't know, another white savior story doesn't really add a whole lot to the conversation and, I can't recommend sitting through this one, even if you're an Eastwood fan. Did, what did you think? Yeah, I, I didn't care for it either. I mean, it feels like it's kind of a drama without the drama. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, even like, I mean, they keep having to, he keeps having to in, almost invent ways to thwart the journey mm -hmm. along the ways. And I'm just like, okay, like you get stopped by the cops and they think they're smuggling drugs. I'm like, no, that was the last movie, you idiots. <laughs> um, or a couple movies ago. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, there are other, other, other people trying to bring the boy back or I, I didn't quite, I, I didn't even know every time someone would show up and like want to take the boy and then they stopped down and like, well, okay, I, I, I didn't care enough to know like what was, they wanted from this. I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah. Oh, and and like what we we talked about on, on our show this week, and what I was saying that you know the, the the whole idea of the conversation between you know I mean Macho is right there in the title, so the the discussion about whether to be a tough guy or an empathetic guy mm. is. It, you know, the, the, this is a message that apparently was written in like 1975 when the script was written, and I don't think anyone's touched a word of it since. Right. And but that con that conceit is 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 more timely than ever, right now. I mean, it's probably yeah. time every single year. You could have made this any year, and it would have felt timely. It just it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. And I think that if someone would have just they 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 would have hired like a, a script polisher and really punched up a couple of those conversations mm -hmm. between him and the boy. I think you could have had something a lot greater. Maybe not, you know, I mean, greater than what exists right now. It might not have been fantastic, but it would have been something. Um, so like ultimately, it's like and then like Dwight Yoakam is basically is doing Joe Pontoliano from Midnight Run. <laughs> like you should have been here by now. Where are you? Pretty and much, yeah. On him along the way, it's just I mean, like okay. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's very it's very disappointing. Uh, but it, but it's watchable because Clint Eastwood is still Clint Eastwood, and he's still such a presence, mm -hmm. you know. And you know, I wasn't crazy about the Mule, but that had a lot more going on for it. Right. Uh, th this one just doesn't. Yeah, I, I I mean I guess I was open to the because he's covered like, you know, what it means to be a hero or a cowboy and things mm -hmm. like unforgiven or perfect world where he, where he was 
touching upon toxic masculinity early on so i thought oh cry macho maybe he'll he'll touch upon that here a bit and it's kind of not <laughs> no you know so First Directors Club Director Draft. Inspired by the Great Screen Drafts podcast featuring previous guests Clay Keller and Ryan Marker, who were on for the James L. Brooks episode late last year. Uh, they they do things a little differently. They draft a, like a top seven, but Eric and I grew up in the top ten era, and I wanted to give us equally five picks for the list. And I think uh, you can expect that maybe we'll have to do some juggling along the way, since this is a collaborative effort. But I want—I th- I, I think we're going to do our best to be copacetic, but if there is a major disagreement, we have the power to veto a choice. But only twice. Once you use those two vetoes, you can no longer throw down the gauntlet. So it's best to save those vetoes for choices that you feel strongly about, And with all that being said, if the toy does appear on this list, I may just have to cancel the podcast right here and now. The toy's not on my list. Okay. Just, just, I want to get that out of the way in case people were already ready to cancel the show. Uh, It is not on my list. And sadly, (laughs) usually I always ask the guests to, what is your first exposure to the director? And the toy was mine. Because it was on HBO a lot. I, I I'm not gonna lie. I saw the toy a lot. Yeah. I, I, I will. I, I I can't hide around that fact. And you know, when you're eight years old watching the toy, you might not have all of the faculties necessary to understand <laughs> what's going, what's really going on in that movie. You know. Yeah. So it's like it feels like oh he bought him a human. I'm like the the concept of buying a human for a child as a Christmas present, uh, that kind of seems like, oh, that's a kind of a funny conceit. When you, when it's Richard Pryor, that brings about a few <laughs> hundred years of baggage mm-hmm. to it. And uh, let's just say that uh, we had not got up to that period in uh, social studies class in history. Yeah, same. But yeah. I, I do have that thought in my head of, uh, I wouldn't mind if Richard Pryor came over for Christmas. That'd be kind of fun. He seems sure. fun. <laughs> right. If, if, you, if, you, if you watch the movie through that lens, Jim, uh, I, I think that you, you, can, you could probably watch the toy today. If you completely just devoid any responsibility of the real implication of what's going on in that movie, you can go like, yeah, you, Richard Pryor seems like he'd be fun to hang out with for a week. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Let's just go with that. Hey, now it's on my list. I'm oh, putting shit. it up on my list now. Oh god, Thanks what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Okay, well, if it's on your list, I have to cancel the podcast. I I I said that already. So I know, I know. It's been it's been a great run, everybody. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, and uh, Eric, you're in charge of your own podcast from here on out. Mm-hmm. So you can start the Eric Chil- Childress Network and get it going. It's going to be the oral history of the toy. 
I'm sure Sergio would be overjoyed about that. That'd be a great conversation, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was hinted at, of course, for the mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Movies Actually episode, which will be linked in the show notes because, you know, as we go through this list, I don't expect us to give, like, you know, an hour-long <laughs> sort of analysis as to why we picked what we picked. Uh, so I, I recommend listening to that episode if you want to hear more uh, discussion and elaboration on why Lethal Weapon and uh, some of its sequels are touched upon as well. It's so great. Um, so let's give this a try, see what happens. Let's get this Donner party started. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, because I'm kind of hungry, actually. Uh, just... <laughs> I'll begin with what could be a controversial choice right at the outset, because I know this is a beloved film by so many. I'm putting it at the bottom. I'm curious to see if Eric is okay with this decision. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if Avito will be thrown out first thing for my pick at number 10 on the list of favorite Donner films is none other than Scrooged. Keep going. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a movie I've always liked. Never fell completely in love with. Outside, of course, there's no denying the comedic genius of Bill Murray and his insanely manic performance and sometimes slapsticky manic screaming deliveries uh, run their course. They get old after a while here. Not so much because it's Bill Murray being, you know, as great as he always can be pretty much. I, I, I have nothing wrong to say, or I, I have no reservations with saying that it's a great comedic performance because it's Bill Murray and I can watch him in just about anything, even if it's just him and an elephant for 90 minutes. I can, huh. you know, I'll watch any movie with him. Definitely his final moments in this are probably the, the highlight. His, uh, his monologue to the camera is a delight, but I've never been a fan of Bobcat's vocal tics. I know he's not in this that much, but when he does, I'm not enjoying it. Uh, I think the actual visits from the ghost are relatively entertaining. I, I, I think it peaks early with David Johansson's cab driver character. I just always felt this could have been even better if someone like Harold Ramis had done this and he kind of went on to do this idea, maybe not in the Christmas setting necessarily, but with Groundhog Day. Uh, but I also I can't imagine this not being on the list for how much it means to so many people. I know it's a holiday staple for some and the sheer lunacy and delivery of Murray's mannerisms are endlessly fun and quotable. Yet it's just never been one of those go to Christmas classics that I seek out as a yearly tradition. But at the same time, I enjoy it. I, I rewatched it and I went, I like this just never felt the 100% enthusiastic love for it at the same time. I'm completely comfortable putting this at number 10. But what does Eric think? If you believe in this spirit thing, you, you the miracle will happen, and then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says Christmas is once a year and it's a fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life, and it can happen to you. I don't. I believe in it now. I believe it's going to happen to me now. I'm ready for it. 
And I, it's great. It's a good feeling. It's, it's really better than I felt in a long time. Uh, I liked the movie. Yeah, I, I liked the movie. I saw the movie in the, in the theater when it when it came out uh, at, at Christmas time, or it was came out right Thanksgiving time. So I think that's right around the time that we uh, saw it. And I I enjoy it. I still enjoy it. Uh, it's it's not. Uh, I I don't know if I. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I love it as much as some people have elevated it into a Christmas classic in many ways. But I I mean I love that story mm-hmm. Christmas obviously. So. You, you do a variation of that, and you stick Bill Murray in it, and uh, and, and Karen Allen, we should mention as well. Oh right, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I, I I think the movie's enjoyable. I, I I mean, I really enjoy the early stuff where Murray's playing, you know, the you know the bad version of himself. <laughs> I, I think a lot of that is really funny. Uh, and then yeah, yeah. So I I mean, we are not far off. I I don't know. You could edit this part out if you want, but. Uh, if we're like revealing where we would have put it if you didn't choose at number ten, you know we, what I mean? We can actually at the end give our own personal okay. top tens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we can cut that part out, but I'll just say that we were not far off. Okay. On the list from from that. Um, and since since you went there, so it'd be my turn now. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so since you went there, um, I went and actually uh, put one on the list, and this will go now at number nine. Uh, and I, I, I think it, 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 it's I'm putting it on the list because it's kind of a very interesting throwback slash just early glimpse into you know the the Donner universe, so to speak, that we would eventually get along the way. You know, this movie has nothing to do with a lot of the stuff you would do later on, but. Uh, Having having just recently saw it, uh, you know it's it's might even be more controversial than you putting Scrooge number ten, just because it's not, it's one of these movies that does not date particularly well mm. in terms of uh, you, you know certain types of jokes and things like that. But at the same time, it is and it's certainly not up there with the you know, the the better of the Rat Pack movies, if you will. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to put Salt and Pepper at number nine. As Salt and Pepper. Nine Pepper, you saw. You and me against all of them guys? Well, you're looking at a very unhappy African. Salt and Pepper. Heroes who held the fate of the world in their hands and dropped it. I saw this movie once. Oh, no. No, no. please. In a private room of a London club, Salt and Pepper. Oh, I wasn't imagining things. He was dead out to get in the bathroom. Maybe he wasn't feeling well. Uh, which will certainly please our friend Sergio, who uh, brought this up many times on the, the podcast where we talked about Lethal Weapon. You know, and it's, it's Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford in a really ridiculous you know, conspiracy plot. They play a couple of uh, nightclub owners who uh, stumble upon a murder that turns into a whole shenanigans with government conspiracies and local cops and whatnot. And it's 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 kind of a, a just a goofy, you know, James Bondian like riff that uh, that you know was directed by Richard Donner. And you could you could see like the flourishes of. I mean, there's a big car chase in the movie. There's some you know, some action bits and whatnot. It's it's a total, you know, 
throwaway 1960s, you know, swinging uh, caper comedy, if you will. Uh, it's it's not great, okay, but it's amusing. And again, as sort of a linchpin to us to another time, it, it's very it's kind of fascinating to watch you know a movie like this that existed uh, back in in the 1960s. So uh, Salt and Pepper is my uh, my number nine choice. Definitely a template for things to come. Uh, I believe I believe they. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. at one point uh, mentions that his hands are a lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's clear, and as we go through some of these Donner films, there are like little tips of the hat to his other work. If you can spot them, <laughs> some there, some of which are very obvious. There's certainly one that I recently saw that. It, it, uh, gets brought up. There's certainly a couple things I jotted down that are kind of funny. Yeah, no, I enjoyed Salt and Pepper. I, again, not a, not an all time classic. Again, no, no. <laughs> you know the <laughs> the jokes are are again hit and miss. I use that term a lot, and it's mm. it's apt here because there are moments where I'm laughing, and other times I'm rolling my eyes, but. You're right. It, it, it's 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 an interesting work. We didn't mention the fact that, boy oh boy, did Donner get his start on television. Uh, that's man. If you look at his IMDb credits and you see how many things he's directed in terms of TV early on, including oh. a classic Twilight Zone episode or two, it's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, he went on to do this and it's fun it's silly it doesn't take itself too seriously i enjoy the chemistry of the two together yeah it's it's you know like a james bond kind of a knockoff thing it's it's exactly what you're expecting and it delivers for the most part uh yeah i like it yeah um so for number eight this is definitely a surprise uh i and I did take a look at your letterbox rating for this film, and it's not quite as high as mine. Uh, <clears throat> but I can't deny the fact that I was kind of moved by this movie. It's an early one, again. But I think it represents a side of Donner that we didn't always get to see, and it was very personal and special for him at the time. And that would be Inside Moves at number eight. Uh, yeah, so I recently caught up with this and was kind of kind of blown away by the sort of hangout ensemble here. I know uh, one of the screenwriters was Barry Levinson. If I'm not Barry mistaken. Levinson and Valerie Curtin. Right. Who wrote a bunch of stuff together. Uh, was one of their early screenplays. Yeah, yeah. And it has a really interesting ensemble of various character actors where I'm like, oh, that guy. Cool. It's nice that he's got a few lines here and there showing up in a bar and stuff. You know, I, I, I like the camaraderie with these sort of, uh, you know, misfits in general. But really, it's a sweet kind of sentimental tale of friendship, a bromance between John Savage and the great David Morse. After a failed suicide attempt leaves him partially crippled, uh, Rory, played by John Savage, begins spending a lot of time at the neighborhood bar 
and uh, befriends Jerry, the bartender, played by David Morris. And, you know, he wants to, despite his uh, disability, wants to play basketball for the Golden State Warriors. And Rory and the rest of these bar regulars kind of cheer him on, and, you know, maybe that'll help lift all of their spirits in a collective manner. They're, of course, their complications, uh, including this woman played by Amy Wright, who's kind of David Morris's girlfriend in and out. And, you know, she keeps uh, showing up uh, and she's an, a junkie, essentially kind of a, I don't know how I feel about that character, especially what her ultimate declaration towards the end is. It's kind of, <laughs> but I think movies about depression and recovery ultimately just get to me in some capacity. I think there's a lot of compassion for these characters. I can see some people watching it and thinking, of it, oh, this is just kind of like a TV movie drama and, you know, it's about these guys sort of adapting to a new life and it's, you know, maybe not cinematically like, oh, <laughs> this is not a sign of things to come, unlike Salt and Pepper. Uh, and it could have been trimmed, you know, maybe by 15 minutes but uh, I believe he just wanted to make something sweet and simple, a nice slice of life character study after being fired uh, on Superman 2. And this is what he did. And I kind of appreciated that, that he did something this small and minimal. And again, like there's, there's kind of a big game moment that you're expecting to see play out in its entirety. And it doesn't. It just sort of ends with the two of them going, hey, you... <laughs> The final moment made me laugh because it's just like uh, two friends calling each other out. The end. That's it. I don't know, but I still found myself kind of moved. And I think a lot of that comes with uh, the actors here. John Savage and David Morris are great. So I'm including it here. I mean, maybe it's not upper tier amazing work that you absolutely have to see. But I, I still I still liked it. I really did. Okay, um, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk me out of a veto here. Okay, uh, uh, well, did you just not connect with it as strongly? I, I, it, it's not that I, that I didn't connect with it, because early on I saw what Donner was going for. Let me just see, you know, one, one reason I'm almost tempted not to do the veto is because I know this was kind of a personal kind of thing that, that Donner wanted to do. This is the movie that he did after he got fired from Superman 2. Right. You know, so, like, he was, was just looking for something to take his mind off of it. Yeah, and he was I, in a dark I, place at this time. He was in a very dark place, and he was looking for something, you know, people who were have have been in dark places and, and pulled themselves out of it. So there's clearly a very personal connection to the movie. My issue is more with the screenplay and uh, at, at least one of the one particular performance in the movie maybe even a couple of them um that i just i i couldn't connect to on a reality level mm. um i mean seriously there there are things that that occur in the in the entire lethal weapon quadrilogy that i think are far more believable than the things that happen in this movie uh, <laughs> you know i mean there's a whole i mean the the whole idea that you know the the you know the guy can just you know, come down from the stands and like challenge a, a Golden State Warrior to a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I was just like, oh my god, someone wrote this. I couldn't believe. Although it's funny, there's there's a line 
that you know precludes you know precedes that scene where David Morse is taunting the guy, <laughs> who who by the way is is Harold Sylvester, who plays the 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 guy on 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 the Warriors, who looks I, I think I don't know what age he was at the time, but he looks he's about thirty five, you know, when he's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And and at one point they refer to his character as the rookie of the year. I was like, okay, you know. Um, but there's a moment where, where David Morris actually says to John Savage, and he goes, "Don't worry, they never come on into the stands." And I just wanted to like fast forward years later to the Malice in the Palace between the the Pacers and the <laughs> Detroit Pistons. I wonder if David Morris's character was watching TV that night and going, "Oh my God, they went into the stands." Um, <laughs> But yeah, but I just I I, mean, I think John Savage's performance is so weird in the movie. Yeah, yeah it's like he's playing like like I don't remember maybe because I, I just watched this movie and I can't remember at any point during the movie that, that they say what uh, um, why he tried to commit suicide. Do they? He does, um, and it's really interesting because he does he, he he sort of doesn't give a clear reason other than he says I just felt nothing. I just decided to jump out of a window for no good reason other than I wasn't feeling like I, I am anything, like I don't exist practically. Yeah. And I, I guess that, that that kind of writing probably connects a little bit more now than it probably did then uh, because a lot of people have that kind of that inner darkness and the battles with depression and stuff like that. Uh, and I, that probably means a little bit more now than it probably did then when people probably like when I when the movie started, like, I really didn't know anything about the movie. I had never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, had to, I had to track it down to watch it. And uh, I mean, the, the, when, when it started, I'm just like, I'm like, I thought this was going to be a movie maybe about Vietnam veterans or something. And, you know, in, in the early 1980s or late 70s. And I thought that that was going to be a reveal uh, with, you know, all, at least some of these characters and whatnot. And, you know, early on, I'm just like, I kind of like, you know, I, I kind of like this camaraderie thing that was developing in the bar, which obviously becomes a yeah. huge this movie. Uh, and, you know, so I was, I was just like, OK, this is going to be kind of like the water dance in a way. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. Eric Stoltz. That, that was a movie that I thought of watching it. And it just if, like the camaraderie just became became a little too jokey for me. Mm-hmm. Not particularly good jokes, but, you know, there was a little jokey. Um, I, I mean, it's, I think it's fascinating that Howard Russell is one of the people in the bar. You know who Howard Russell is? I know the name. Howard Russell is, he's the guy, he has the hooks. Okay. Okay. And he is the guy from the best years of our lives. That's right. Yes, of course. This was the first movie he had done since that movie in 1946. Oh my gosh. You know, so he, there was, he won an Oscar, right? Won an Oscar, yeah. He was a real veteran. That, that, that you know, that's a real condition he has, and he won the Oscar for the best years of his life, his film debut. And he never, and thirty four years, he had not made another movie until he did Inside Moves, and he doesn't get a whole lot to do. That's true. In the movie, you know, so that was so that was a little disappointed. Um, David Morris's performance, I think, is weird <laughs> in the movie. I think, I mean, you know. And, and again, it's a, it's a movie about you know a white guy's dream to play in the NBA. <laughs> so there's I get there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I didn't particularly buy, and it's pretty low on my 
overall Donner list? Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of warmed up to it. I mean, I I do sense some disappointment with the fact that they like this really great friendship is developing and then they sort of separate at one point, you know, and it becomes more about the romantic interest that John Savage is experiencing. Uh, And just the the sort of the the way that um, David Morse's girlfriend on and off girlfriend deals with like a pimp and stuff. Ridiculous. Yeah. Also ridiculous. Especially the way that that subplot is resolved at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. That, I was like, I rewound it. I'm like, what What just happened? Oh, okay. And then it's the end of the movie. Um, I just, yeah. I don't know. I really like these two act. Maybe it's just because I like the, these actors. You know, especially once they're all together hanging out. You yeah. Know? And maybe there should have been more of that. You know, like the, the, the Johnson. Did they ever say that John Savage like had like some sort of brain damage after the suicide attempt? I would assume that he must have. Because yeah, uh, he he's because there's, like, there's that scene where David Morse has the one on one basketball game, and Savage he's kind of clutching the ball and he's kind of like he, he's doing all these twitches. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. that. And I'm just like, and he doesn't do that like for the rest of the movie. Hmm. You know, and I was just like, "There's a that's a weird performance on his on his part," and I couldn't could not like make heads or tails of it. And then Morris is like in the other direction; he's just way too up. He's way <laughs> too upbeat most of the time. And then you have like Diana Scarwood, who got a supporting actress nomination for this movie. Oh, that's right, yeah. And uh, and I think that her character, her character, her performance, I think is the best thing in the movie. Yeah. The way the character's written, I think, again, Levinson and Curtin not doing their finest work here. Oh, um, man. I don't so know. What, what, I, okay, what, okay. What, what happens if I do veto? Then does the movie leaves the, the list or what happens? It can. Or mm-hmm. I could I could be a, I could be like, dude, I think Inside Moves actually belongs on this list. So I'm putting it at number six. But that's okay. the risk. That's the risk you take. I right. guess by using like, a veto, because like I can only see one film on my list that you could potentially veto, and I am. Uh. <laughs> I think I think I I think you know what that could be, especially if you've checked my letterbox recently. Um, I have not. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'd I, I'd be I'd be. Mm. Can, can I veto the veto? <laughs> Is that is that a rule? Because there's one movie I could see you vetoing out of spite that I would actually veto. Like if you vetoed this one movie on my list, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I guess I have that coming. But if you veto this other movie, I might veto it back. Well, okay. <laughs> Again, you could bring it back. Like if I veto whatever movie I'm not as crazy about that you might like more. There's only so many choices here. That's true. You know, so I'm just, again, like I said, I'd be very surprised if we didn't have at least seven to eight matches and somewhere on this list. Yeah. I uh, mean, I, I... I... I Obviously, I can switch things around. I don't yeah. have as strong a defense for a, an alternative number eight, necessarily. Okay. But they're probably the same rating. To be honest. Okay. Oh, so you would have to choose another movie then? Yes. 
Right. Okay. That's right. That's that was the rule. Okay. Um, if you yeah, don't I'm like a, inside moves, it I'm doesn't gonna, have to be on the list. I'm going to use a veto. Okay. I'm going to use a veto on this one. I, I I think we can do better. This makes things interesting then. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Am I going to veto this one now? <laughs> that would be hilarious if you didn't. Okay. Again, I don't feel as strongly. And yet at the same time, it's like, you know, Letterboxd uses the five-star rating system. Yeah. Both would get about a three. Uh, Inside Moves gets about a three out of five. Mm-hmm. And that also holds true for what I'm going to replace Inside Moves with at number eight with Conspiracy Theory. Okay. Is that a little bit better? It, it's better. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like... It's higher on my list. I'll just say that. I do like this performance from Mel Gibson as being really unhinged early on. Well, probably throughout the whole movie, really. But mm, once we get into more of the Patrick Stewart as the villain, and especially the confrontation towards the end, I'm not as into it. It's almost like there's a turning point halfway through the movie where um, Mel Gibson's character's apartment (laughs) suddenly ignites and... (laughs) It becomes more of a, you know, crazy action movie than all about a, you know, like a kind of a character study slash drama about this conspiracy theorist who thinks that uh, people are following him and that his paranoia is not just all in his head. They, there are actually people after him for a particular reason. Uh, Julia Roberts is a love interest in Again, it's 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 kind of kind of ballsy in the in the beginning as we're essentially following a stalker who has a lot of psychological trauma and we're not sure if we should be on his side because he's really invasive, really aggressive, really intense in a way that uh, I, I would find very off putting normally. Uh, but it's Mel Gibson at the same time. So there's a little charm in his lunacy. And I think I just, I like movies about people like this who really think these crazy theories. Uh, you know, I, we both share a love of JFK and uh, <laughs> it's chock full of interesting ideas and theories. But this is more in the action genre milieu, if you will, that I wish maintained its momentum throughout. I, I feel like it, again, sort of dwindles as it goes along. I don't get as caught up in just exactly what's playing out. And I think, you know, finding out what the ultimate reason for everything that's going on isn't as interesting as the ideas that Mel Gibson's character has. So... It never is. <laughs> yeah. Like this. Yeah. But it's entertaining. That's the thing. Is like I, I, this was one of the first ones I went back to maybe a few weeks ago, and I kind of went, yeah, this is fun. I, I, I like this movie. I, I, again, especially early on, I think it's really interesting. I've been playing this wacky, crazy cab driver who ends up talking to himself at certain times. And, you know, some people might make the argument of it being kind of this, uh, I don't know, politically incorrect portrayal of someone who might be schizophrenic more or less, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to go there really with this. I, I, I still think that just because it's 
Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. The star power there is strong, and they carry this film pretty pretty well. And I enjoy their chemistry together. Very similarly to a, another Mel Gibson movie we'll get to momentarily. But hmm. anyway, I I'm I'm pretty happy with okay. You know, taking mm-hmm. inside moves out of the picture and putting conspiracy theory in its place. I am I am fine with that. Uh, conspiracy theory um, is more more of a near miss for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I but I get you know I get you know you, you talk me into it one way. I guess oh, yeah, I could see that there's pleasure in it. I, I I like the setup of it a lot more than yes. where, where it ends up going. Uh, exactly. Like you said. And you know, I mean, Julia Julia Roberts is kind of like a reverse Pelican brief. You know, she's just playing the Denzel Washington role, so to speak. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, you know, I wanted a thriller. You know, I wanted, I wanted a little more Three Days of the Condor and less Lethal Weapon. Exactly. In this one, and 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 that's unfortunate because you know, Lethal Weapon, you could at least go with the idea that he's, you know. The action is so outrageous, and, the, and it matches the character's personality, so to speak. Here, you know, putting him in those types of situations, and like, I mean, the, I mean, the whole idea of black helicopter theory is that you don't see them, <laughs> you know, when they're just kind of traveling down the middle of the street, and everyone can see the black helicopter. Well, then it, it no longer becomes a conspiracy theory. There's, everyone can see them, you know. Uh, so, yeah, but it's 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 it's. It's watchable. I think Patrick Stewart is good in that that torture scene in, in early in the movie. Oh, that's is... so weird. Tell me what? What do we know? What do we know? If oh. I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know. And if someone else knows, okay? I mean, it's just... I've just got to be more specific. Oh. Oh. Well, what is that? It's a really kind of this, the very disturbing stuff, and I like the way that they they, they kind of tie in the whole idea of the history of conspiracy theories, and he's always has to buy Catcher in the Rye and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's some clever bits within within the screenplay. Uh, I just wish that it had a, a better, a more satisfying journey, you know, to to the end. But but I give you that one. I yeah. give you that. I, I pretty much completely echo what you said about it. So, well, we we can we can agree on this one. Yeah, we we'll agree on that one. Um, so I'm gonna so my number seven. Uh, I'm just gonna go um, look at his list and strategizing, so oh. to speak. Uh, one that I hope that you you're not gonna uh, veto because it's just it's just too much. It's too charming and it's too fun to 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 be so hateful. Oh. Um, but it but it is another Mel Gibson oh. movie on the list uh and i'm gonna go with maverick in the number seven slot holy cow they're out to win the biggest prize of all (laughs) welcome to the first ever all rivers raw poker championship from the toughest competition of all each other mel gibson you you called me son nothing nothing nothing. i believe he called you a gutless cow no i did not say that i was teasing Teased. <laughs> I don't like being teased. Jodie Foster. Oh, see, there you go, being all likable again. James Garner. A woman's suffering's not a funny thing. There are exceptions. At a time when men lived for adventure. 
everybody's got a gun. The movie's just entertaining. It's funny. Uh, Alfred Molina's the bad guy. You have a lot of colorful people on the, on on that boat in the poker game. Oh, he's so much uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, e- so uh, an equal amount of ridiculousness. Uh, it maybe takes you know one sting twist too many towards the end, but I didn't mind it. I particularly liked the final one very much. I thought that that, that was pretty cleverly done. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 my only biggest complaint about the movie is that it's just, just it's a bit too long. Agreed. It, it does drag a little bit in the middle there, where uh, Gibson goes off on his little side trip with his Indian friend. Mm. You know, mm. um, <laughs> there's a lot of there's, go through the Donner's career, man, and mm. people, the woke police are not going to have a good time with it. Yeah, especially we got Mel Gibson. <laughs> well, that's a, that's that's a whole other thing. That I think that it goes beyond the woke police mm-hmm. but uh but no it's it's fun it's it's fun like i i could sit down and watch this movie and just kind of smile and so i'm, I'm gonna put maverick at number seven i'm yeah i agree it's funny because i was going to introduce it a little differently i was going to say okay uh for my next pick it is none other than danny glover and mel gibson in maverick <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert! Oh, man. that's a that's a that's a fun little cameo. It's absolutely a fun little cameo. I forgot to mention though that uh, <laughs> it's very strange. But there's a in uh, Inside Moves, there's an Omen poster hanging in the apartment. Oh, I missed the Omen poster. I know the other one. You're gonna go ahead and say it. I know the other one. You're gonna the talk Superman about. pinball machine. Super Bowl pinball machine. I'll even I'll go. I'll bring it a step further. What I wrote down the the basketball player that Harold Sylvester plays. His name in the movie is Alvin Martin. Oh. See where I'm going with this? Oh, my gosh. See where I'm going with this? I do, I do. The the boat in Lethal Weapon 2... That's right. ...is Alba Varden. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> right. And how rare is it to see Jodie Foster having as much fun? You know, and... Because she, she really didn't do a whole lot of comedy, right? No. <laughs> no. Still no. Still no. Uh, I mean, she, she, she's, she, she's clearly... She has, she's having fun in Spike Lee's Inside Man. Oh, that's true. A, a different kind of fun. Right. But I don't... I mean, I don't think we've ever... I mean, I, can you recall... I mean, I'm, you know, unless you go back to, like, Freaky Friday or something like sure. that. But, yeah. you know, in this period, I mean, like, what she, you know, already won two Oscars for The Accused and Science of the Lambs, uh, done, you know, a few other dramas and whatnot, and she was, this was a chance for her to throw back, and, you know, that right. her direct Mel Gibson. That's true. In, mm. in a very underrated movie, speaking of... Called The Beaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's a lot of movies. I, I keep meaning to make a list of movies that I want to... Um, write about for the Voices and Visions website because I I like this idea of covering even if it's not a brand new release but any film that has to do with mental health right and yeah, that's, that's one good... yeah I should really revisit and yeah I, uh, that's that's something I'm going to do this mm-hmm. this week it's finally put together my list because there have been titles that have been coming up a lot that I'm like oh I, th- I wish people talked about, you know, something like Shutter Island a little bit more than they do, or, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, The Beaver's a great choice. Um, great. Now I don't know what to do for number six. But, and again, this, 
okay, this choice I'm not going to talk too much about because it, it is considered an all-time classic. And again, it was covered extensively on the Christmas Movies Actually podcast. And that is the very first Lethal Weapon. I think I'm comfortable with putting that at number six because I think we both agree, and again, this might be spoiling things for things to come, <laughs> that there's an even stronger action comedy uh, from Richard Donner that's, uh, you know, even better. But what can you say about the original, the source? Uh, you brought up salt and pepper, so now we have the very uh, well-written Shane Black screenplay and this teeming of the immortal Mel Gibson and Danny Glover together for the first time in uh, a, a, a movie I never understood why Nick hated it so much. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Like, is it is it too cliche? I mean, I don't, to me, this felt fresh at the time. Uh, and it, you've been rewatching it now. I'm like, there, there's, I don't, I don't understand how this could not be enjoyable. Uh, even though I do agree, it is kind of weird that the whole family is joining him in the bathtub. Yeah, he, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're both naked. <laughs> That's how we're introduced to these two characters. They're both naked. Um, yeah, all, all the kids, all the kids, and yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just, th this is, you know, be this became a template, again, for a lot of action films to come, and man, I, there's nothing, I think it's a very well-paced, and I, I think the only complaint I would have is really just, I'm not a, as crazy about the final... <laughs> the final fight between Gary Busey and Mel Gibson on the lawn as it's raining f from the fire hydrant. I think that's kind of silly and not well shot necessarily. But I think I love everything else about this original Lethal Weapon. It has a lot more dramatic weight going on with uh, Mel Gibson dealing with, again, suicidal ideation and uh, being a loose cannon in ways that aren't always necessarily comedic as they would later go on to be far more comedic uh, as the series went on so yeah I I love I love this Le I love Lethal Weapon <laughs> I mean again do I watch it as much as something like Die Hard no not necessarily but I think this is a great team I think uh, the fact that Richard Donner went on to do all these films together sort of showcases the fact that he built a really good um, collaboration and kept going back to it, maybe not just because he was like, oh, let's just make another sequel and make more money. I actually think he had some invested some investment in into these characters and see where they would go. Uh, but yeah, by the fourth one, not, not crazy about, but this is where it all began. So let's put it at number six. What the heck? Yeah, and seeing as I only have one veto left, I'm not going to waste it saying that I think it should be a little bit higher. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you six on this one. I clearly like it uh, a bit more than, than you do. Um, I, I, you know, having after done the, the movie man, the movie man, the Christmas actually's Christmas movies actually podcast, I've said my piece quite a bit right. on that one. 
Uh, but, you know, I have given a, more thought to that final fight sequence that you referenced not caring for as yeah. much. Of, and I, I agree with it's you. It's silly. I mean, I guess... It, it's okay. Yeah, in, in the context of the way that the movie as it exists now is seems very silly. And I just wondered if there was something more that didn't make it into the final cut. I mean, it's only a 105-minute movie. It's a pretty lean movie when 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 you really you know, break it down. And, you know, I mean, that, that final fight would only make sense in or at least better sense in two other contexts. One, if there was some actual history between Gibson and Busey's characters. Like, maybe they'd met each other in Vietnam or were aware of each other, you know, Gibson, you know, Riggs knew what a psycho Joshua was or something like that. That <laughs> might, you know, you could, I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, or that there was, that it was presented in a way that this was something that Riggs for his own mental health couldn't get out, get himself out of. That yeah. he had to, do, to inflict this pain on this guy and you know and which would have worked more if his partner wasn't egging him on as much if maybe they they'd gone back to i know they've gone through a lot and they were they're really good buddies at this point and he they've threatened his family so Mur murtaugh doesn't care as much anymore but if there's someone maybe not egging him on to do this like <laughs> it's like all the cops show up and he's like, this is, I, I just, I, and, and they're just letting this happen. They let, they let, let it happen. They just let it happen. And I uh, just, the, the paperwork involved in that alone is just insanity. Uh, so yeah, I was, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you leave it at six. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll go there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what a great friendship. We'll talk about it oh, more, I'm sure. Yeah. I think we, we should, we, and we will. Um, but so, but okay. So number, my number five, uh, I'm gonna I'll just blur it right out. I'm going with the Omen. This <laughs> my five. number four. What's going on? Okay, <laughs> for one off here. For one off, I'm actually I'm actually pushed one movie off of my list here because I'm I'm again I'm strategizing. I'm playing your little game here. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Twentieth Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. I saw its mother. I have fears. I have such fears. What kind of fears? Its mother, Mr. Thorne. You saw my wife. Its mother. What is it you're trying to say? His mother was a... This is not a human child. You you know a movie works on you horror wise when it's not something you revisit right away. You know. Yeah. This movie this movie freaked me out as a kid. You know, for, at least for the reason that even, even if it wasn't the devil's child, does the fact that a child could be responsible for this? Like like what if Damien was your friend? You know that that was the, the only thing that I freaked me out in the, in the in the Omen sequel is when he kills his brother, because oh. you know I, yeah. that that scene always bothered me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not the only thing about Damien Omen two that really bothered me, but but in this movie it's just I mean I mean when you you get to a point where the father is about to kill his child, you know, and that and that goes along with all that that's just the the cherry on top of all of the the the, the animal stuff in the movie the the maid hanging herself at the birthday party um the you know all the all the you know all, all this the 
B some of the BS Bible stuff that's actually in the movie. You know, it just shows you that if you if it sounds like the Bible and you can make it scary, it's probably going to be scary. Oh yeah. You know, and uh, you know David Warner's fate in the movie is you know like oh my god, uh, that entire graveyard sequence with the dogs. I mean, all mm. the stuff with the dogs. The dogs scared scare me more than the, the baboons. baboons. Scare Lee, Lee Remick. Um, and uh, and then do that final shot. That final shot is just oh god. That wasn't the original Uh-oh. plan. I right, yeah, and and uh, yeah, Ooh. um, yeah. It shows you that Donner was not afraid to go dark, and the movie was actually in in some ways. It's I mean, even if I know dispatching the devil's child might not seem like a dark ending, but it's still a child, you know. Yeah, and yeah. you know, a child being murdered as your climax for the movie that's pretty dark, you know. D- devils spawn or not. Uh, so yeah, so the the omen, like I I got I don't like to revisit it. The, the score creeps me out, uh, but oh, yeah. that the fact that all of that, the fact that I'm saying that, it means it worked. So I'm gonna put the omen at number five. It's all for you, Eric. It's all for you. Oh God. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this movie came out after Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, and yet mm-hmm. it's still effective and creepy you know maybe maybe the pacing's a little bit slower than mm-hmm. than i would like but at the same time it doesn't bother me it, i'm after a while i'm kind of immersed into this and the, and just the fact that like i i don't know man knowing gregory peck was in a really vulnerable place you know personally while making this movie because his son had recently died by suicide you know and I, it's sad. That's so sad. And it's just, and if you really want to dive deeper into this being a really strange and cursed production, I highly recommend checking out Jay Cheel's series on Shudder called Cursed Films. Because the episode on The Omen, I, 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 wanted, I didn't get to rewatch it in time for this, but I know a lot of strange things happened on set or after production uh, in the same way that, you know, all these stories surrounding things like Poltergeist or The Exorcist. Uh, I think it's a really interesting series if you haven't seen that on Shudder to get uh, like yes. more of the background. Yeah, the Omen one is particularly interesting. Yeah. Because you got Donner talking a lot in that. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But no, I mean, there's so many great moments, great performances, and I think... Any scenario involving creepy kids, I, I'm pretty much sold. There you go. Because I think kids can be very, very creepy. And yes, this has an excellent score mm-hmm. uh, from Jerry Goldsmith. So. Oh God, yes. Whoo-wee. All right. Well, you know, part of me was like tempted. I, I should I just because I still have my vetoes. I should veto it and get it just a notch higher. <laughs> but then, what would you put in its place? I mean, and yeah. it's like, do it's I feel like- that passionately? To put it even a notch higher. Like I said, we, we have four spots left, correct? We have four spots this left. This is tough. And I, I, I can't... I, I, I think now we're vetoing for placement now. Because if the, if, if your last... If the last four on our list do not match, I'm going to be stunned. Un- unless you pulled an... Au- there's... there's, there's I, you could have pulled an audible. And it might be... An, it's an audible that I purposely didn't pull 
Um, but we'll see. But that's the only that's the only thing I can see that could disrupt this entire thing. And I almost did it, but I I I, I went against myself in doing it. I think I know what you're saying. Too. Yeah. Okay. So now I have to choose a number four mm-hmm. with it not being the omen. <laughs> okay. Um, interesting. Because I still feel like based on what you've... Because st- I like have a, you know, a cursory knowledge, a basic foundation. I, I, I know you mentioned this m- movie... I'm not putting it at number four, but the movie that I think you really like a lot more than I do, even yeah. though I should love it. Uh, but that's okay. Let me just let me just do this. Number okay. four is the Goonies. Now maybe that'll be just slightly higher for you. I don't no, know. It's my number four. Okay, good. All right, fine. Yes. No. <laughs> Have at it, my friend. We are in agreement. So, 1985. We've talked about this year quite a bit. When I first saw this, this was everything my seven-year-old brain could possibly want. Uh, And now as an adult, I recognize that it's flawed. But more or less, I think, like, objective criticism kind of goes out the window here very similarly to um, a movie i'm going to talk about on another podcast recording later tonight um toby hooper's invaders from mars a movie that i surprisingly still still enjoy veto (laughs) this isn't the toby hooper draft i'm gonna waste it on i'm gonna do my veto on that podcast okay so i i look the goonies okay it's i would i call it high art no but for the feeling of joy it gives me, even today, well knowing that I, okay, some of these kids are a little loud and obnoxious, that doesn't bother me. I really love this ensemble. I really do think Jeff Cohen is, as Chunk is genuinely funny throughout this movie. Uh, the interplay between Robert Davi and jo- Joey Pants and, and Ramsey, that whole team is really, really enjoyable to watch together. And Sean Astin and Josh Brolin show that they had, you know, even even at that young age, a, a little screen presence, you know? And it's clear that these kids must have had a blast together, even if I heard that Donner could be difficult to get along with on set at times. But I think he, he did the tough love version of a director. Like, you, you know wasn't necessarily a bully at all. It was just more, uh, had more of a commanding presence and wanted the best uh, from these kids. And I think, you know, it's got to be challenging to, <laughs> to direct kids at this age. So I can understand him maybe being a little frustrated here and there. And this just, but to me, this feels like a weird kind of like integration of a lot of things I enjoyed then and still reasonably enjoy now. Chris Columbus, obviously Spielberg's influence, and just that, you know, Richard Donner made another great, fun action adventure, you know, made this like a good roller coaster, you know, it starts with that amazing opening credit sequence and that score from Dave Grusin, right? Introducing all the characters in one shot. I love that. Still Mm -hmm. love that. Um... you know, and the word I keep going back to for the upper tier Donner films is just plain fun. 
solid, well-made escapist entertainment, memorable characters, a great sense of humor, really well-paced here. You know, there, there's there's little things here and there. We've talked about them before, like, the, you know, the, the data mentioning the octopus, even though there was no octopus in the final cut. Whatever. You know, I, I'm going to forgive little things like that just because I do have that nostalgic bent for it. I just, I... I can't deny the fact that this is still entertaining to me as an adult, even though, yes, I've grown up, and I think if I were hanging out with some of these kids, they would drive me bonkers. Um, <laughs> but you gotta love the little nod to Superman at one point, and even as silly as this story ultimately is, it's, its heart is in the right place, and seven-year-old me can't deny that, like, when I go back to this movie, it, it does bring up a lot of great memories, and it's just a fun adventure, you know, with all with uh, I, I don't get to hate. I really don't like when people outright hate this movie. It's it uh, kind of bo- boggles the mind a little bit. But I guess it's just because I come from it, come at it from a different place because I saw this when I was seven and I had an amazing time in the theater. And so it still holds up for me. Yeah, me too. I, and I think that I think people's reaction to this movie now, you know, it's almost like it, it's weird. You could almost do some sort of study on when people flipped off the Goonies. And I don't mean that in a bird scent type of way, but in a like all of a sudden they decided this is this is a movie that they actually hated and believe make, and make themselves believe that they hated it always. Uh, which I can't believe is was the case, and, I, and it, certainly it depends on how old you are when you see the movie. Obviously, uh, I was I'm a little bit older than you, but not a whole lot. So th- this movie was right in my wheelhouse when I got my dad to take me to see it, and and, and it's one of those movies that, as you're, I mean, I think one of the things about Donner in our Appreciation, because I, I was so when when Donner passed away, not, you know, not suddenly. I mean, he was in his nineties as well. Uh, but when he he passed away, there was this real sort of outpouring of love for him. And when you go back and look at his resume, it's almost a fifty-fifty kind of thing. You know that there's yeah. a lot of really you know strong movies on the list. There are a lot of people, movies that have been elevated to classic status over the years, and then there's a lot that's kind of like like conspiracy theory, you know, or a couple others that are kind of like, uh, I see skill there, but it's not a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing with like Richard Donner is with, you know, I mean, the you know, when you've discovered movies like, you know, all the you know, Superman or the Omen even, and like Richard Donner was one of those names that I knew of early on because I had seen his name on these other movies that I really liked. So the pairing of a Richard Donner with Steven Spielberg, whose name meant everything to me at that time, I didn't necessarily know what an executive producer did. I just knew that Spielberg was attached to the movie in some fashion. And if his name was attached to a, to a movie, I hadn't seen anything that I disliked <laughs> from him at the time. So going to see The Goonies was a no-brainer. And what is a you know is basically a Indiana Jones movies for kids, foul-mouthed kids, PG foul-mouthed kids, uh, hunting for pirate treasure. Who who what kid wouldn't be interested in that? I'd like to I'd like to see the Venn diagram 
of people who all of a sudden that, that now dislike Goonies, but now like National Treasure. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like all of a sudden uh, that movie is now in, in the in the Cage Renaissance, and as if Nicolas Cage hasn't done a lot of shit over the years. You know, all of a sudden these movies that aren't as bad as some of these other movies are now being elevated. You know, the hocus pocusing of you know generational movie culture, so to speak. Uh, and just like like Goonies is a very well crafted movie. If you don't, if the kids you think their kids are annoying, I'll show you a hundred movies where the kids are far more annoying than it. Because all the kids have, have personalities, the, the varying personalities, uh, and it's uh, I, and the, the the bad guys have personalities. Uh, there's, I mean, there's there's some oddness to it with the relationship with Chunk and um, Sloth. Well, <laughs> Sloth, right? Um, again, the woke police probably not going to have a great time. Yeah, but you're going to live uh, with me now, Sloth. I always <laughs> I think it's nice. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that works legally, but yeah. it, it's a nice sentiment. It gave it gave Sloth a little bit of hope at the end. I love you, Chunk. I mean, come on. I mean, you, you have to be co- kind of completely heartless to. I mean, I mean, I'm sure, sure people roll their eyes with that, but I don't care. Goonies is my number four too, on the Donner list. Yeah, I just always wondered. Well, did did he have that? Did did Chunk just have the conversation with his parents while they were eating? Domino's Pizza and just be like, oh, right. by the way, Sloth is going to live with us now because we're going to adopt him. Okay. You, you could tell they don't live in a great pizza environment when he says Domino's all my favorite. Oh, God. You know, and I don't even, I don't even think Domino's is bad pizza. I, I think the, only bad, the only bad pizza in the world is Papa John's. Uh, I'm sorry if you have a Papa John's sponsorship, but they're shit. Anyway. The, the, when I was in college, I thought they were great. Now I don't like them at all. They're bad. They even look bad on the commercials. Yeah. Uh, the, would, the last the last thing I'll say about the Goonies is that that idea that the remark that you say where they reference the octopus at the end of the movie, if if you didn't if you don't know the the backstory that you know there was an octopus and it was cut out, that that whole conversation still works in the context of the movie because you just think it's of it's just a bunch of kids el- escalating their story, the way yeah. that Chunk did. You know that, that he was a liar, and all of a sudden now the kids are now rising to Chunk's level of outlandishness. So right, but everybody else was telling the truth. You yeah, know? the octopus was very scary, and I'm just like that—that's that, funny because we didn't see an octopus, so mm-hmm. now they're just they're just BSing the adults. Right. The the the, the reporters for the media particularly, which is a really octopus. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so glad that scene was cut. Oh. Such a bad scene. Well, you know. Yeah. It can't all be Bride of the Monster. And I can see why the... Did you see the convenience store scene? The deleted scene? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that was cut, too. Oh, no. They, they did a fine <laughs> job of cutting. Yeah, and as as I mentioned to you early on when I knew we were going to do this, that uh, Cindy Lauper video is so weird. Love it. I, I love it to this I, day. It's so weird. I, I, yeah, I love it too. Yeah, <laughs> Roddy Piper just in the middle of it, just dropping Spielberg's name. Yep, and the end of it just. <laughs> and again, yeah, that was one of my first introductions to wrestlers. Sure, you know, and uh, yeah, and so I mean, you got you got a great Dave Grusin score in in the in the film, and uh, yeah, the, that Cindy Lauper song's fun too. Okay, yeah. so we're, we're giant kids. Sue us. We like the Goonies. 
Okay, go watch your National Treasure Book of Secrets. Yeah, or your Da Vinci Code or something. Oh, your Da Vinci Code. <laughs> People, we're not there yet. We, we, we Maybe we will be, but we're not there yet. So now I'm nervous. Um, Because I have a feeling I know what you're going to pick at number three. Oh, mm. okay. And, and you think that might be higher. Is that what you're thinking? Um, Or... I don't know. Maybe you really love this movie more than I do. I don't know. I'm okay. I'm not going to. Yeah, I shouldn't guess anymore because. Um, well, there's only there's only three other movies that I think belong on this list, frankly. So I'm just going to I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this next one at number three and we'll see where it lands, because if because if, if this isn't on your list, I I, I, I hope I hope <laughs> you pull the audible. Um. But I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And I'm not going to veto your audible if you if you did pull it. But I'd be I'd be very disappointed if this was vetoed off the list. Um, and it's actually higher here at number three than it would be on my overall list. But uh, my my number three I have to put Lady Hawk. <sighs> there it is. Okay. Uh... Oh. Uh, is it the Alan Parsons score that that's that part it of off? it? I don't. Matthew Broderick. A pickpocket who thought that anything was better than prison. Little did he know what he'd escaped from wasn't half as strange or frightening as what he'd stumbled into. I do not believe what I believe, Lord. These are magical, unexplainable matters, and I beg you not to make me a part of them. The knight who had saved him wanted only two things to free his lover, and to take his revenge. Fantasy is hard for me. Like, okay, Princess Bride, awesome, amazing, wonderful. Yeah. You get, And then you jump all the way to Lord of the Rings, obviously. Yeah. Those are masterpieces. Uh, I, I, I never got into the Ladyhawk or the Willow or a lot of these beloved Labyrinth. I, Labyrinth's fine. I don't know. I just there's there's something about there's there's always been a disconnect for me. Even going back to when I was a kid, I was like, eh? I I don't know. I had a feeling you loved this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a great movie. I think this is in, in the entire Richard Donner canon. This is probably his most underappreciated in many respects. Even though uh, Siskel and Ebert really liked this movie a lot. I remember that. Yeah. When it came out, and I mean, I think I mean. As far as, I mean, as you, you're making, I mean, the, the fantasy movies that you've just referenced are far more fantastical than this movie is. That's this movie has true. one, this movie has like one fantasy element at, with, at the, you know, at the heart of its story, uh, but it's not utilized for uh, like big epic battles. It's not even a huge act. It has action in it, but it's not a huge action movie. I mean, this is a movie about loss and, mm. and love and you know literally star-crossed lovers in in, in many res in many respects was that movie and, that movie stardust also had michelle pfeiffer right if I yes it did and that was a <laughs> bad movie yeah uh and, and this one and and, and your two star-crossed lovers are rutger hauer and a, and a young michelle pfeiffer that's alone should get you to three stars <laughs> you uh, know it's always I've, been two and a half Oh, I don't know. Matthew Broderick for me in this. Eh. 
Matthew Broderick might not. I mean, I, I don't want to say that he's miscast, but I mean, compared to what you're getting, I mean, I think in the, I don't think he's miscast at all. I think that he's kind of the a, a solid, you know, doofus foil at the center of this movie that you know has to go on this journey to bring these two lovers back together. Uh, and I, I mean, I love that whole sequence where you know, the Howard's character is off screen for a while and it becomes this, you know, relationship to save the bird, you know, and mm -hmm. nurse Pfeiffer's back to health and stuff like that. A whole second, speaking of the omen, you got, you know, um, Lou Jacoby in, oh, right. yeah. in that role. And, 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 and he's great in it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, compared to a lot of the, Bomba almost been bombastic movies that we've been talking about in Donner's career. This is very far more low key. I mean, this movie is, you know, feels more like kind of like a classic piece of literature than it does some big giant epic spectacle that a studio, you know, would spend money on. Yes, the Alan Parsons score is kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We, I, you know, I love this movie, and uh, you know, we, we, we I, I'll tell you off air what what we did to the Alan Parsons score at one point. Um, but that's a, that's a whole other part of my life. Anyway, um, but, but but I've always found this movie beautiful. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I I, I, I know there I, mean, I think there are people that would have this movie even higher than this. Uh, but I think number three is a very respectable compromise. Yeah. Hmm. That's it's tough because like this I, is you oh man I, I, I don't know where you're going now. Well, that's the thing I can't veto it because what would I, that would make this the wackiest top three possibly then? Yeah, because what are you going to replace it with? Right. Because you can't you I mean, assuming that our <laughs> ones and twos are pretty closely aligned. I think they are. Okay, that's then, my guess then there's nothing you can replace this with. Especially at number three. Right. I know. I you gotta let me you gotta let me have this one. But Lady Hawk is my number eleven. That's how crazy I am. Well <laughs> I mean it's it's not I'll, I'll say this, it's not entirely crazy because I mean you you had um conspiracy theory, so like my conspiracy theory is in that realm. Mm -hmm. That's I have that, so we just sort of swap those. Sure. Um, but you had conspiracy theory. I think you got. I think you gotta give me Lady Hawk. I think I do. Like yeah. I don't. Obviously, I don't hate it. I just never felt uh, strongly about it for some reason. I don't. And I get you. You, you definitely sell me on why it's a special film, and mm -hmm. I think there's just something about the 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 genre. I mean, I. I do like that we get Rucker Hauer as a good guy, and also know. love that. I, I mean, I was yeah. scared scared the hell out of me in Blade Runner, you know. And and this, I mean, this is pre hit the Hitcher, so so I didn't have to have the double the, the triple or the double uh, power effect. But uh, but yeah, no, it was great to see him as like the basically a swashbuckling type hero after seeing him, you know, chase around Harrison Ford and Blade Runner at that yeah. age. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, uh, you have to look at the alternative here, Jim. I know. If you're playing the game. I said that there's, like, even if you, 
Yeah, you'd have to force me to use the Audible, and there's, I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about. I, I, that's I'm what I'm tempted to do. <laughs> I'm so tempted to do that. Just I'll say you, you could do it. You could do it. It's But the Audible is a little bit of a cheat. Little bit. Right. I, I, I think I know where you're, you're going with that. Okay. <sighs> I think that you want to do something that is all him. Yeah, right? you know, I think making- that I think it's fair. Like, it's it's similar to almost how I felt with Scrooge, where I wanted on this list, even if I don't like have this insane love and affection for it, a hundred percent beginning to end. You know, right. And Lady Hawk again, I I I I understand why people love it. There's a lot to love about it. It's just that personally, it never clicked with me as a whole. And maybe a lot of that has to do with just like mm, shrugging off Matthew Broderick as the lead, but still really appreciating how, man, stunning Michelle Pfeiffer is. And uh, Rucker Howard is great. Uh, like, there's. Uh, Those are two incredibly beautiful people at the heart <laughs> of this movie. Rucker yeah. Howard and Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, my God. Yeah. I'm going to leave it. Okay. This is crazy. I didn't think, wow, I thought for sure I'd be like, okay, I've got, I feel obligated to use a veto at some point, but I also don't want to make this a wacky list either and have people go, what, what were you thinking? That's not right. You know, I don't want to make people mad, I guess. Well, you, <laughs> and this is good too, because you now, depending on what your one and two are, because now I have the option if I don't like your number two, I could just say veto and you have to go with the other one. That's true. But I have a feeling we're going to be in sync here. I, I, I have a feeling. Again, this is a movie. I, I, I feel weird that I chose lethal weapon at number six. And now uh, I'm putting lethal weapon two at number two. Now, get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation. I mean, sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic Gun! is back. Watch out the window, Are you all right, man? Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? You're my partner or what? Why didn't you follow me down? Yeah, why didn't you follow him down? Shut up! I'm seven floors up! Lethal Weapon 2. You go first. I'm really too old for this. You go first. I'll cover you. Eeny, meeny, because you're this lethal weapon 2 super fan here mm-hmm. and i do obviously i think this is a, a superior sequel uh once we get to that and this is one thing that kind of bothered me was the the fact that the trailer was essentially just this sequence with the bomb on the toilet yeah I, that always kind of bothered me when i was younger i was like why did why do we just why did we see this entirely play out in the trail like there's obvious beats that play way better when you see the film in context and how it escalates over time as opposed mm-hmm. to being trimmed down into trailer form clearly and it's not like they show probably the the highlight of the entire series with their pertaining to their their friendship that that look that you know Danny Glover gives Mel Gibson when they're about to jump off together yeah Oh. Great. It's great. Yeah. And the whole movie is great. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> Diplomatic immunity. It's Just great. Been I, <laughs> I yeah, like I, I every time I watch this, it gets better for me. It's a lot of fun. The tone is set right from the opening credits with the little Looney Tunes uh, sound clip. And uh, it it kicks off with a bang and it doesn't let up. It's uh, one of the all-time great action sequels. I don't know what more to say about it because I think anyone who's seen it knows why it's so great. And uh, that's where where this series peaked. And it's an example of uh, Donner's strengths as an action director, but also... The fact that he creates characters that aren't caricatures that you actually care about. You care about you care about his, you know, Danny Glover's family. You know, it's like everybody is fully dimensional. Uh, <laughs> certainly the, you know, the the love interest here that, you know, plays out. Yeah, okay, you kind of expect something like that to happen, especially when you have Mel Gibson. But I, I that, that's not even really a quibble of any kind. I I actually really love this movie pretty much from beginning to end and have zero complaints and happy to put it at number two. So I'm not going to say a whole lot because I I want you to say why you think this film is so special. I know it it was for you and your dad, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, a bit. I, mean, I wouldn't say that this is like the, the big highlight in our relationship, but right. Uh, right. I would say just recently on, on my dad's uh, birthday this uh, last month, we were trying to decide. My mom and I, we were gonna we were gonna watch a movie. We got you know some some beer and we got uh, it was like we're gonna watch a movie tonight. You know, for dad, something that he would have liked to have watched, uh, something that he did watch. We didn't want to watch something that he had had no opportunity to watch. So. Uh, so we kept going through, you know, a number of movies, and uh, at one point, uh, funny enough, I was gonna, uh, I said, let's, well, let's, how about we watch Tombstone? He liked westerns, and she, my mom said, I don't know if we want to watch a movie called Tombstone. Um, I'm like, oh. like fair enough, oh. fair enough. Yeah. Um, like, okay, so let's let's go with this. And and my my, mom, my mom's actually funny because she's, I think she actually watched the Lethal Weapon movies backwards. <laughs> like I think I think she saw four first, and then we kind of went backwards. <laughs> watching the movies oh that's gonna be weird over time yeah it's it's it was kind of funny um but you know i I know she's seen the movie before but she does you know she's not like us she doesn't always retain everything so like everything is you know new for her sometimes and so so we watched leave the weapon 2 on on my dad's birthday and and watched that and it was just it was at the end of it she's like that was perfect that was that was that was a perfect movie to watch it's 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 so entertaining it's you know I again I can I can go to bat for the sequels I will but I will also agree with you that that this movie does peak this the series absolutely because it doesn't get any better than this obviously uh, it takes everything that's so great about the the sequel I mean about the original and adds in this uh, 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 it ups the humor quotient but not in an annoying kind of way it adds the pet the Joe Pesci character and then they become the Three Stooges. Uh, again, a lot of paperwork is going to be incurred for the way that they treat their government witness in this movie. Uh, I mean, they, 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 there's no way they should have a job by the end of Real One. Uh, but again, the Glover. Uh, again, you, you mentioned, you know, we, we could go back to the original movie talking about how the, the, the scene, the, the family dinner, and a couple of discussions that they have where they really get to know each other. There's a lot of stuff in this movie. There's the. 
you know, the, the, the bathroom, the toilet scene, as you mentioned, it, it, you know, plays out beautifully uh, and really captures their friendship. Uh, when they, they're they sitting down uh, and, you know, just eating uh, spaghetti out of the same bowl, <laughs> you know, I, I love that. I love that scene. And I don't I don't agree with Sergio that Joe Pesci's annoying. I, I enjoy him in he's this. He's very funny. He's, he's, well, he's supposed okay. to be okay. annoying. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's supposed to be annoying. He's he, and and then it, it it gives us a reprieve for them smacking him around for the entire movie. Uh, but also, the, I, I have a question. Did yeah. did Subway ever have a drive-through? I I thought of that too. I'm like I, I, I don't remember too a lot because that's a weird drive-through. That would be well, very weird. It's not so weird because I've been to like hot dog places where. They, you know, they, they make the hot dog in front of you. There's a place called Tasty Dog in my area mm-hmm. that used to. You'd go in and you'd watch them, like like you would do at Subway. You watch them make the hot dog. And oh, hold on, sorry. Can you hang on one second? Yeah, no problem. Diplomatic community. But yeah, yeah. So I, I, I saw. So, I mean, but it takes a little longer to do a Subway because you have to know everything at the drive-in, that the drive-through, like every single topping that you want on your sub. There's a lot more sub toppings than there are hot dog toppings. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's 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 you know, say you know, in Chicago you say hot dog with everything and you know exclude this, exclude that, whatever. Uh, you know, with Subway, you know, you I mean, you go in there, it's a chore, and I don't even put a lot of stuff on my sub, but I know you know people might pour it on. I mean, there you could put tomatoes, peppers, lettuce, you know, spices. There's four oil. People put oil on it and all that stuff. I do. Yeah, I all do. right, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just I but so that that I mean that seemed like to be a very long drive-through. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, was like, I, I just I don't have any memory of any subway ever having a drive-through. Not that yeah. like okay, this is silly to, to debate and the, mm-hmm. but the, the ultimate uh, they fuck you at the drive-through is obviously hilarious. Hilarious mm-hmm. that the whole scene where Riggs tells Murtaugh's wife about the night that he signed out his wife's body. Oh, right. With the, gold, with the gold pen. And what's so, what's so great about that scene is that, well, it fills in the, a little, you know, some backstory on Riggs's character and why, what eventually led him to being a, you know, suicidal, you know, crazy person, or I'm sorry, he's not crazy, uh, but a suicidal person. And he, he tells her this entire story. And at the end of it, you know, he goes, and I, you know, I, went into you know to the hospital and I signed her out with my gold pen and Murtaugh walks in and goes hey gold pen that reminds me she Trish found a gold pen in the wash and Riggs looks at Trish and they share and, and it goes like see I hit I didn't even tell your husband that story oh yeah it, 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 it's it's a it's a, again it's quick but yeah. he looks he looks up at her and she smiles so it's, it's this story that now that only the two of them have yeah. See, it's little things like that and little yeah. moments that make these characters so memorable. And also just you enjoy spending time with them. Yeah. You know, I, I think, again, it's it's hard for some people to get past the, you know, what Mel Gibson's ultimately become. And I mm-hmm. understand that, of course. But man, you know, he was a true blue movie star with so much charisma and Mm -hmm. this series really uh really captures it well and this is definitely the best of the bunch i have a feeling i know what number one is and it's timeline correct 
It is not timeline. Okay. It is not, not timeline. All right. It's assassins. I knew it. I knew it's, you were a closet it, assassins fan. It's it's not assassins though. I will say assassins is higher on my list than inside moves. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, no. Number one is Superman. Obviously. It's Superman. It's Superman. And whatever we will say going forward here about this movie, think of where we are today in cinema. It yep. began it began with Superman. hundred percent. Cannot you cannot take that away because if Superman failed, I mean I know it's a long time down the road and whatnot, but Superman success and the fact that it was as good as it was uh, is, is set the template for everything. I mean, as all the all the heroes and you know movies that we've had over the years, you know, we so many of them, even good good ones, we you know we we, we sort of get tired of the origin story because we've seen it so many times. You know, it might be good. You know, Sam Raimi Spider Man, mm -hmm. the the original Iron Man. Uh, but we kind of we kind of wait for that that next movie the way that that Superman two was in in many ways. Uh, I, I still contend that Superman two is better, and there's a lot of Donner in that movie. Oh, for sure, obviously. Um, that's what I want to talk about the Audible because there is a Richard Donner cut of Superman two, but I didn't feel it was fair to put it in this list because uh, when you watch it, it's I mean it's. It's still great, but you can tell, you know, that there's it's still kind of choppy. Yeah, because of all there's interference, all the, of course. Right. Yeah, and exactly. For all the things they had to, to, to do to put it back together. I'm so happy that it exists, though. I love the fact that, that we got, I got two different Superman twos that I can watch and I and I love them both. Yeah. Uh, same here. But the, but the original movie, I mean, the 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 the, the, the foresight to cast Christopher Reeve. In that role, there will never be a better Superman. Never. No, it's impossible. I don't, I don't care anyone. You you don't even start with your Henry Cavill, okay? Don't even start <laughs> with your Henry Cavill, okay? I won't I, I won't hear of it. You're a crazy person. Go watch National Treasure: Book of Secrets, okay? Uh, Christopher Reeve is the is the one and only Superman before and after. Period. Uh, again, the Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor. Don't never forget it. He is the quintessential Lex Luthor, and he's Gene Hackman. Okay, Margot Kidder was great as Lois Lane. So everything in that movie that is cast down the line to perfection. Uh, you know, granted all the problems that you know Marlon Brando and the headaches that you know he had <laughs> along the way and whatnot. I, I, I want to play him as a bagel. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not a joke, people. That's mm -hmm. not a joke. Uh, and, and again, and, and 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 of course, John Williams' score. That's all. That's a whole other podcast, obviously. Another but... great opening credits where you just you're 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 in for the ride. Yes. Oh yeah. No. I mean, he, his score sets the mood for that movie, and then I mean, like there's really beautiful stuff like that. The entire I love the section of that movie where he get he you know the the porch of the solitude is built and young clark kent is in there and hearing the story hearing the, the marlon brando narrate that section yeah. of the movie 
you know, and we go through the universe and William score is playing in the background. And then you get his, the first glimpse very long into the movie of Superman. Think, think of, I mean, could you imagine studios at the, at the time going like, Hey, can we get to Superman a little quicker in this movie? I mean, it's a good 45 minutes, right? I before think so. Yeah. Superman. I mean, I don't know the movie's two and a half hours, but it's a long time before you see him in the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, it's a little while longer before you see him again in the suit. And you, you, you buy into the relationship between, uh, you know, Superman and uh, Lois Lane and Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Uh, just, again, everything about the movie is just feels, I mean, it is such a joyful experience, but filled with real genuine emotion. Yeah. On top of like, you know, I mean, you, you 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 can't even look at Christopher Reeve as Superman when he discovers Lois Lane in that car. And he doesn't he doesn't even know how to respond to it. That's what that's what he's playing. Like, yeah. he doesn't know this emotion. He doesn't know how to respond to it. And he just it, it's it's sadness and anger and fear and outrage. And he wants, you know, kill everybody. You know, I mean, it's everything bundled in, into that one moment. Uh, and it's just, I mean, the solution is what it is, you know, the way it had to be for the way they were splitting up the movies and stuff like that. But I, it is just, I mean, please, I will let you talk now about well, your love. That's the thing too. It's like from that point on and too, is the little time travel, uh, element mm-hmm. that he does is fueled by this unknown emotion to him that, is so powerful to witness because yeah, he's supposed to be a Superman. He's, you know, he's supposed to just go with it and deal with, and, and, but he's still a human being and we understand why he feels the way he feels even early on the, the, you know, it's the death of Glenn Ford. It's pretty, pretty powerful to, to win like that. That to me is like watching this movie made me realize that yes, Donner was a great storyteller um, but he cared about these characters and you can tell that he put a lot of heart into this story, even if he knew he had to maybe make some compromises, especially once he <laughs> dealt with the second one, which didn't go very well, sadly for him. But yeah, no, there's, this is one of the all time great comic book movies, period. Uh, I do, I do enjoy the second one a little bit more, but it's not by much just because this is such a great origin story featuring the best portrayal of Superman ever. And that's why I don't know if I'm ever going to see Man of Steel or some of these other incarnations. I just have no interest to watch. You haven't even seen them? No, I don't want to. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I just... I can't like Christopher Reeve is super. I mean, I mean, even to some degree, I, I really liked, I mean, he's not on the same level, but I really like Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. And I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to see the Andrew Garfield soup Spider-Man movies. Cause why? Well, those you shouldn't, those you just, those you just absolutely shouldn't. No, but I do like, obviously I like the, the, um, oh my God. What's the actor's name now? The new one, Tom Holland. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like him. He's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yep. but no. So what what can you say? If there had been another number one, maybe it could have been Lethal Weapon two. But honestly, <laughs> no. It's got to be Superman. <laughs> 
get out. Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he set us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie. It's it's one of the yeah. I mean, there's, there's I don't think there's anything question. I think you I I I don't I don't know what Richard Donovan would say was his favorite movie, but and he and he probably you know looking back on that experience you know there's probably a souring factor. I'm sure. Um, but he. He, he, you know, he can go on now, knowing what he, you know, the, the what he paved. Yeah. You know, and I mean, Superman, Superman two. I know, I, I know the Superman two, but those are still. And we we get what five comic book movies a year now, give mm-hmm. or take, you know, something like that. And those two movies are still top five for me of all time. Yeah. In, in this genre. It is, yeah. So so much about it um, works. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful movie while being funny and exciting and awe inspiring. You know when they when they say you you know you will believe a man could fly, if if they couldn't make people believe that the movie fails. And yeah, okay. The special effects, some of them clearly has dated. Sure. Sure. But not all of it, and you only need a little bit of that magic when you're watching it 40-some years later to believe that he's there flying. And you think, and you go back, and they did that in 1978. And, yeah, what a, what a treat it must have been for audiences back then and what a treat it still is for audiences of today. Yeah, 100% agree, and I... Just the casting alone of of Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman, that's that <laughs> that just alone makes this special, mm-hmm. you know. Because like he plays, I, I think he was even reluctant. I think Gene Hackman wasn't even like stoked to play Lex Luthor. I know for, I know he didn't want to be bald. He didn't want to be bald <laughs> or shave his mustache or something. Right. But 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 it's also at the same time it's a testament to Hackman who mm-hmm. I mean he he was he was he was an actor's actor he's a very professional but you know he would you know he had an ego like anybody else and he would clash with with people when he didn't think that things were going in the right direction the fact that he didn't even want to return for to to shoot certain scenes in Superman two because Donner got fired yeah. You know that that goes that that's go, that goes to the test. There's a loyalty there, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I don't. Let's uh, be. I don't know. I don't think this is too controversial, but I kind of like the third one, kind of. I, 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 I if, you, if you put it on in front of me, I wouldn't turn it off. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not as good. It's silly. Um, it's it's a lot more silly. Uh, you know, they made Richard Pryor basically almost the main character in the movie. Uh, but there's moments in the movie that I like, yeah. and 
Uh, and again, that movie gives you Superman versus Clark Kent, and that alone gets you two and a half stars. <laughs> so yeah, that's um, a, yeah, two and a no. half. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, you know, I mean, they they almost. I, I don't even think uh, Lois Lane is like in it for five minutes because they focus on Annette O'Toole uh, for that one, <laughs> which yeah. is fine because you know it's Annette O'Toole. Part of the comics. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, the, the, that's part of the comics, and uh, and I think Kidder was having some problems mm. right around that time too. So I mean, you and I mean that was I, I still remember, and I I, I, I hate to, to to speak ill in in such a way, but as a kid, uh, you know, I was so I was such a fan of of the first two Superman movies that when Superman three came along, and I was so excited to see it. I mean, I didn't even know what I was feeling myself inside about what Superman and Lois Lane were, what that relationship meant on a love, you know, a, a romance level. I just knew that these two people really liked each other and they kiss, you know, and yeah. they seem to really like each other. So when Margot Kidder, who looks like she's aged about 60 years between Superman two and Superman three, if you watched her <laughs> that first scene of her in the office she she doesn't look like Margot Kidder from three years ago. Oh wow! I guess yeah. I didn't I, and, I, that. and I remember seeing that as a kid. I'm like, what happened to Lois Lane? Yeah. You know, and and so she she was clearly going some through some things at the time. And then they, I mean, because there's 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 a reason that I, there had to be more to it that we're probably not revealing here that why her care why Lois Lane after everything that goes on in Superman two why you would throw Lois Lane away. For Superman three, right? You know, yeah, that's a strike against it. Oh yeah, big time. And we don't need to talk about Superman four. We do not. <laughs> we do not. Great. I think I, I've always said Superman four is a great idea. Yeah. And no execution. Man, I saw that in theaters, and I was like, I guess this is. I'd seen a really bad. Like even as a kid when I was younger, I was like, this is really bad. Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah, as someone who had more than a share of nuclear war nightmares, the Ooh, idea of yeah. Superman standing before the you know the world of United Nations, I think in the movie, and saying I'm going to rid the world of all nuclear weapons, I was so ready to see that movie, mm. and then everyone said it sucked, and then I saw it, and they were right. Yep, I believe. Did it come out the same weekend as Jaws: The Revenge? Was it the same weekend? It was a it summer feels like seven. Because I feel like Siskel and Hebert zero stars for for both of those. Oh, did they really for both? Oh, I, I know. thought I so. Wow. Um, I mean, I could be wrong if they came out the same weekend, but I just I don't I don't remember. Ebert gave zero stars to Superman four. Maybe not zero. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't even. I don't even remember if you wrote a review of it, frankly. But yeah. all I remember is that Superman four played at the Elk Grove Theater the same weekend of the dollar. It was a dollar fifty weekend, dollar show, um, second run. That uh, Superman four was playing in the small theater and the big theater. We were watching Dragnet. All right. <laughs> yeah. Which which has Tom Mankiewicz in it, who was a consultant on Superman. There you go. It all comes together. That's right. Uh, what? Um, I'll I'll just reveal quickly what my personal top ten Richard Donner picks are, mm -hmm. and then um, you can do real reveal that, and then I'll we'll end with the uh, official drafted list. 
So my uh, my own personal top ten picks are number ten Scrooge, number nine Conspiracy Theory, number eight Inside Moves, number seven this is probably too high sixteen blocks. <laughs> I, I I thought that that might rear its head, and I I don't that that's in the Conspiracy Theory realm. Yeah. For me, that I think it's I, better. I don't know. I think it could have been better. I think so too. Especially the the climax of that is kind of anticlimactic. I, but I think Bruce Willis actually is giving a damn for I, once. I was, I was, yeah, I was I was just gonna follow that up. I say at least it's a time when you can say that there was you know, Bruce Willis still cared enough to give a performance. Yeah, and again you got David Morris as the bad guy. Um, it's it's you know it's it's a good premise. I like, you know, the cat and mouse chase feel to it in a small contained area. Uh, could have been better, but I, I still think it has some very strong moments and it was a good final film for him. Uh, and yeah, I, I, again, it's probably shouldn't be number seven, but uh, right above that at number six is Maverick. Number five is Lethal Weapon. Number four is The Omen. Number three is Lethal Weapon 2. Number two, The Goonies. And number one, Superman. Okay. Um, my number 10 was Salt and Pepper. Uh, my number nine was Scrooged. Hmm. Uh, my number eight, this will be the, the one controversial pick on the list, probably. Uh, my number eight is Lethal Weapon 4. Huh. Which I, I think that that movie has some fantastic action sequences. I think that the freeway chase in Lethal Weapon oh, 4 yeah, that's good. might be the best action sequence in the entire series, arguably. That's really strong. That's definitely the highlight of the entire yeah. film. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I'm a fan of Lethal Weapon 4. Uh, number 7 is Maverick. Number 6 is The Omen. Number 5 is Lady Hawk. Number 4 is The Goonies. Number 3 is the first Lethal Weapon. Number two is the second Lethal Weapon. And number one, obviously, is Superman. So there were some surprises along the way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if there would be. And I I don't feel, like I mentioned, as you know, passionately strong towards inside moves. I think it's more just that knowing where he was emotionally making that movie. Maybe that sort of colors my overall perception of it to some degree like i want to throw him a bone <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's I, I felt bad about the veto but no it's okay yeah the, the movie's still a little fresh in my mind and the, like said, I, I like i believe the end of radio flyer more than i do the Ooh. everything that happens in salt uh, not in um inside moves yeah um and our collaborative list together that was drafted is Number 10, Scrooge. Number 9, Salt and Pepper. Number 8, Conspiracy Theory. Number 7, Maverick. Number 6, Lethal Weapon. Number 5, The Omen. Number 4, The Goonies. Number 3, Lady Hawk. Number 2, Lethal (laughs) Weapon 2. And number 1, of course, has to be Superman. Um, I don't think you're going to get a lot of people disagreeing with that list. I don't think so either. Again, like I'm not, some... I'm not going to poo-poo on Lady Hawk because I, I understand it, you know. Yeah, I think there there's some people that might uh, knock Goonies down a little bit more, uh, and might maybe uh, I know Sixteen Blocks has a little bit of a, you know, that's a that's a good Richard Donner movie that no one's seen, and I don't agree, but I think that that might 
make it the way into the top ten the way it did yours. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, like I said, there's, there's like seven, Surprise. eight Richard Donner movies that I think we are probably all in agreement on should be on this list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And if, I guess you kind of like Assassins. I don't so much. Oh, I don't. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, I thought I, you did. Oh, no, no, no. No, okay. it's 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 Assassins was a was a kind of a big disappointment because I like the 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 premise of it. I like I yeah. like you know I I think that it has some it has moments. It's also too long. It goes on way too long. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and uh, then then the plot is really pretty stupid when when you get down to it. Uh, yeah, that that that's a movie that needed more assassinating. I think. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and Julianne Moore, it's kind of wasted, and yeah, um, it's so weird. I guess the, the Wachowskis wrote that script, mm-hmm. but I don't think they were very happy with what Donner ultimately did with it. To where I don't think they were. It was a, it wasn't a very good collaboration, <laughs> from what I can tell. There was a lot of uh, tension or something along those lines. So yeah. And while the Wachowskis have definitely made their share of fantastic movies, they have also made some really bad movies too. So can't can't always get what you want, but you know the the fact that Donner did an early script by the Wachowskis and an early script by Barry Levinson. True. That's there's there's something to be said for that too. Yes, and early, that... early script by Shane Black. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, and, you know, there's so many reasons to appreciate the work that he's put out. You know, again, like, I, I wouldn't say I was, like, overly overwhelmed the way... Like, like the, the, we get to the top three, yes, those are all really strong choices overall, and I, you know, I I understand the love and support behind Lady Hawk. I, I think that maybe me being more dark and creepy... I would have gone like, oh, let's put the omen <laughs> there, and ma- let's maybe switch Lady Hawk and the omen. <laughs> yeah. Would you like, uh, sir, the official Rotten Tomatoes top ten ranking of Richard Donner films? Oh yeah, go for it, man. Let's, let's um, wrap up th- with that. And this is kind of, and I'll preface this by saying that a lot of these Richard Donner movies were before the advent of Rotten Tomatoes, so before you had everyone sort of posting stuff weekly mm. on Rotten Tomatoes. So some of these are not don't have nearly as many reviews as say like you know iron man does okay but percentage wise this is the the, the current order on uh, at rotten tomatoes uh coming in at number 10 at uh, only at 57 percent is conspiracy theory hmm. uh number nine at 60 percent is lethal weapon three okay uh number like eight it. number eight at 66 percent is maverick Number seven at sixty-eight percent is Lady Hawk. Hmm. Uh, number six at sixty-nine percent is Scrooged. Uh, number five at seventy-six percent is The Goonies. Number four at eighty percent is Lethal Weapon. Number three at eighty-two percent is Lethal Weapon Two. Number two at eighty-six percent is The Omen. And number one at 94% is Superman. Wow. There you go. I had a feeling we were all going to agree on number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And in order going going down after that, uh, 16 blocks, lethal weapon four, inside moves, radio flyer, assassins, timeline, and then the toy. At yeah. Four four percent for the toy, by the way. If you're curious. Four percent. Four percent. Yeah. Timeline thirteen percent, assassins sixteen percent. Wow. I didn't know yeah. it was that hated. Yeah. I don't, well, you know, I didn't hate it. <laughs> well, if, if you get a lot of ten, two two star reviews, you're gonna end yeah. up with sixty percent. Yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, I guess so, that makes sense. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh hey, it gave us an Antonio Banderas meme. <laughs> I don't even know what that meme is. I guess it's the moment where he uh, finds out that his his uh, next contract is out on on Sylvester Stallone. So he looks at his computer screen in this really funny way. He kind of like like kind of rolls his eyes and kind of goes mm, yes, <laughs> and then makes this like goofy face and puts his okay, fist his fist to his mouth. That's not even the one. I, I thought. I think there's another moment in the car that I think I might have seen at some point where he kind of rolls his eyes and kind of flips his hair a little bit or something. Yeah, yeah I don't. I don't keep I'll up with all these that memes because I don't. I'm not familiar with that one. I don't. I, I can't keep up with all these memes and, and gifs and things no. being thrown out into the Twitter sphere and Facebook and all that. It's it's impossible. It is. It really is. Thank you so much, Eric. This was a blast. I, I'm so glad fun. we took this approach because I was uh, a little nervous since this isn't my normal uh, format. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to do something fun because Donner movies are generally fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So where can everybody find you uh, in the world of the, the, <laughs> the world of the Internet? The world of the internet. Uh, well, and anything and everything you can you, you certainly find at efilmcritic.com, but that also includes, obviously, the Movie Madness podcast, which is available at the Now Playing Network. Uh, so, you know, check that out. We got over 250 episodes right now. Nice. And, uh, continue to climb. So the, the Movie Madness podcast is the... that That's the primary place where you can hear my uh, thoughts and ramblings and everything. Uh, again, efilmcritic.com is when I occasionally do write some pieces. Uh, they're usually there. And uh, on, also linked there are my appearances on Business First AM, a uh, television show, uh, a weekday television show uh, that you can find on your local dial in many markets across the country. It's not just the it's, – it's filmed here in Chicago, but it's all across the country. And I do a segment there called Movies and Money – where we talk about box office and different industry decisions and occasionally reviews that I do. Yeah, you're all about the stats. I do like my stats. I do like my numbers. Yeah, I nothing do. wrong with that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we'll definitely have you back on next year, obviously for our yearly retrospective tradition. Always look forward to that. Same here. Are there any Donner movies from 92? I think Radio Flyer, maybe. Radio right? Flyer. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Gonna, okay. gonna have to revisit that one in earnest. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best with that. Uh, but, yeah, um, everybody, please visit directorsclubpodcast.com and send me an email over at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter with Jim underscore Laskowski now, as well as on Letterboxd as Jim Laskowski. All of that is linked, of course, on the website and in the show notes. Stay tuned next month for late October-ish. I guess we're kind of doing a scary director by the name of Abel Ferrara. 
<laughs> Very different <laughs> than Richard Donner, for sure. And uh, a filmography that, yeah, is, can be pretty heavy, pretty disturbing. Uh, when trying to watch as many of his titles as I can, he became very prolific over the years, so I don't know if I will watch every single thing, that's for sure. Um, I don't even know how many movies star Willem Dafoe <laughs> that he's done. <laughs> so that'll be a blast, and uh, good old returning guest, the host of Supporting Characters, Bill Ackerman, and we'll be back on for that, so uh, can't wait. Thanks again, Eric, for, for being on. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah.